The 200 Level is brought to you by DP Doe, proud supporter of the Illini on campus since 2006. Locally owned and employing a staff that truly cares about their customers, DP Doe always goes out of the way to make sure that every customer walks away happy and full. Stop in and try a hot box, which in the state of Illinois is extra tasty, beginning on January 1st. It features a calzone, choice of side, and a drink. And you can order direct online at dpdoe.com for all their best deals and prices. And if you're in the Champaign-Urbana area, they deliver anywhere. Brian Hansen, your State Farm agent, your local choice for insurance. Their team is made up of four local products, all born and raised in Champaign-Urbana. That's Tammy, Kennedy, Molly, and Brian. Their office is located at 408 North Ray Street, Suite A in Urbana, but they service all of Champaign County and East Central Illinois. They're here for auto, home, renters, business, and life insurance needs. Give them a call at 217-344-1900. That's 344-1900. Or visit online at brianismyguy.com. And Finally, 4th and Kirby, you can get their apparel at the Illini Union Bookstore on campus or, of course, at 4thandkirby.com. And after two consecutive Illini basketball wins, what better time than now to get a crew neck sweatshirt with a retro Illini logo from, I think, a program in 1976 or 77 when they played Iowa. This is what 4th and Kirby does, vintage-inspired Illini apparel, again, at the Illini Union Bookstore or online at 4thandkirby.com. Also got to thank Illini Inquirer for their partnership in the relaunch of the 200 level and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. This is episode 56 and a particularly happy, feel-good episode, except for the fact that we lost a rock and roll legend, Neil Pert. On Friday, he was the drummer from Rush, one of the greatest drummers of all time. So thanks to Astros Jake on Twitter. What better title, I guess, for this episode than a Rush pun, Fly By Night, with a K, of course, for Rutgers. Let's do it. It's the 200 level. It is the 200 level, Mike Carpenter from the basement for episode 56, Fly By Night, with a K for Rutgers and for Rush after the loss of legendary drummer Neil Peart. I'll talk a little bit about that later on and kind of how my path intersected with Rush, except it was by proxy. It was with the Foo Fighters on stage, of course, at the State Farm Center. That was a couple years back, but uh, Rush has been kind of defunct now for three plus years and they had kept it secret that Neil Pert was dealing with brain cancer. So it's really sad news for any rock and roll fan and for any drummer especially because if you talk about most influential guys to play the drums, Neil Pert is going to be on a top five list for many, many drummers out there and for good reason. One of the most technically proficient drummers that ever lived and not just that but he was actually the lyricist for rush as well so uh, sad news for rock and roll fans everywhere and rush had a very dedicated fan base got inducted fortunately while neil pert was alive into the rock and roll hall of fame which is much deserved so it's never easy transition from sad news like that into good news but if we are going from music to sports from rush to alani basketball you know this is a week that i don't think anybody saw coming let's be honest about that the michigan state game is not that long ago it would have been, what, 10 days ago, January 2nd, when you went into Breslin Center and got your butt kicked, couldn't make a shot to save your life. And I think in that second half, the concern for that was that Illinois' defense began to wane as well. And then you followed up with Purdue, and when we came on the last time for the 200 level, we, we stayed positive because it did feel like a dominating performance to such an extent where you thought, well, maybe this does have some sort of legs to it. Then you go to the Kohl Center. And boy, was it a typical game at the Kohl Center, except for the last four minutes. 
you could not get within five or six points. Essentially, that was the spread for the entire game. And Wisconsin was doing Wisconsin things. Lante has won on record many times about this. And I was not disagreeing with him for about 36 minutes of that Wisconsin game. He doesn't bother watching games at the Kohl Center. Now, fortunately, he did this week when Illinois went up there. But I got it because as I'm watching this, I'm, I'm getting so frustrated And the weird thing about that was, as I've documented here on the 200 level, I've yet to become emotionally invested in this Illini team. But even so, there's this mounting frustration when you play Wisconsin basketball, 15 straight losses. They were all kind of weighing down on me. And I entered that game surly. Despite the fact that Illinois was playing hard, just the shots weren't falling to the degree that you wanted them to, and the breaks weren't necessarily going their way. You saw the foul differential, of course, at the Kohl Center. And I found myself becoming that fan, the one that complains about officiating, but it was hard not to. It was hard not to get frustrated when it seemed like Wisconsin was doing their usual flailing about taking charges, flopping all over the place. There was actually someone on Twitter who had sent me a reply to this tweet complaining about officiating that flopping and charging are just part of the game and in fact, a good part of the game. And at that point, I just shake my head and just move on because I can't have a conversation with someone that actually thinks charges, flopping, flailing around is a positive aspect of basketball. It's infuriating. And I know that Illinois has had a few guys in their past, namely the Lucas Johnsons of the world, that did the same thing. And when they're on your team, you love that about them, right? But it's just the principle of it. And that sounds like I'm on a soapbox, but I really cannot stand teams that make their living by getting the calls, by flailing about and acting this. and Listen, that's not why Wisconsin is as good as they have been for the last 20 years. It's not the primary reason, let me say. But it is part of their identity. So the first thing I tweeted out four minutes into this game was, I was reminded just how much I hate everything about Wisconsin basketball. The flopping, their identity, just everything about it. And someone said, their identity, what are you talking about? Because they win? Of course, that's part of the reason I get sick of it. But the identity of Wisconsin basketball, which sure, I would adopt in a heartbeat if you told me I would have the same 20 years that they just had. I would adopt it. So I don't want to be a hypocrite here. But boy, is it frustrating when you're on the other side of the court. The game goes on, getting to halftime. It is a typical Illinois-Wisconsin game. And I wasn't feeling good about it, but I wasn't feeling bad either. The one thing that was getting especially frustrating, though, with that game, and this could be the case for any road game coming up, when you had lost games like Missouri and Miami, my biggest fear was that the margin for error was so small with this team and that inevitably you would have to get some road wins. Where would they come? And some of them were going to have to come in somewhat surprising fashion. This is why winning that game was more than just a relief that there was actually joy in winning this game, which goes against a text that I had sent to Trevor and Isaac, probably midway through the first half. That it, I said to them, every time I watch Illinois and Wisconsin, it's like taking a crap after Thanksgiving dinner, which I know is a little bit, I don't know, unseemly for me to say out loud, but let's be honest about it. It is exhausting to play Wisconsin. And I thought, if you get the win at Kohl Center, I'm just going to be relieved. The catharsis of actually you know, ending that streak winning at the Kohl Center for the first time in 10 years, that won't have joy to it. Instead, it will just be relief and we can move on. But what ultimately happened, the manner in which you won that game, the way in which you hung around for 36 minutes despite not shooting all that well, is that you close the game, your stud, Io DeSumo, who, yes, he's going to go pro. You know, any concerns we had about that in mid-December, late December for that matter, that's out the window. This kid's going pro after this year. There was joy because you had ended the streak 
in emphatic fashion. Not in the margin. You won by a point. Okay, so it was a little bit hairy there at the end when Georgie missed that free throw. But when you make as many big shots as this team did in the last four minutes, on the road against this team at the Kohl Center, with all the stigma that goes with playing the Badgers in Madison, that is potentially a sign of a very good team if everything comes together, which there's two mantras that I have for this team. The first one and the most important is just make the stupid tournament. And ultimately, winning at Wisconsin, the biggest thing that got you was one step closer to making the NCAA tournament. It was the kind of game where the few bracketologies that came out the day or two after had Illinois around like a nine seed or a 10 seed by virtue of getting that game, right? And going back to probably the Michigan win in December as well. But the second part, which could be a mantra going forward, if this team continues to win, doesn't need to be in the most impressive fashion, but they are second place in the Big Ten. How about that? The second mantra would be, maybe this is a really good team, right? Because we started this season looking at all the individual pieces, namely Ayodosumu. You couple that with the emergence of an Alan Griffin, and you needed someone in the wing position to really assert themselves. Alan Griffin's doing that. And then you throw in the fact that you have the probable Big Ten freshman of the year in Kofi Coburn. Okay, so the individual pieces were there. We recognize that. So the first mantra being make the tournament, this team is right on track to do that. That's check that one off the list. They're, they're looking good as long as they don't slip up too badly. But then the second one as the season goes forward with another seven or eight weeks left in the regular season would be just how good can they be? Or can this be a really good team? I hope that we start following that narrative more than just making the tournament to the point where you get in February and instead of worrying about making it, you're wondering, well, what seed could we potentially get? Where you start seeing the bracketologies with Illinois as a six or a five which isn't as ludicrous as it sounds. The Big Ten will likely be getting eight teams in. Nine, that might be a bit rich. And certainly, we've seen, right, whether it be Illinois or any other team in this league, it is extremely hard to win on the road. They are ahead of the eight ball here by having gotten that road win in Wisconsin, of all places. You look at Ohio State, on the other hand, and man, what would I would give for Chris Holtman as our coach, right? And I still probably would. I think his track record speaks for itself. But they're one and four in the conference. And here you sit at four and two, and it's not as if Illinois has gotten a ton of scheduling breaks. The two games they've lost on the road against Maryland, ugh, that hurts. I know Isaac can't get over that yet, and we'll talk a little bit about that in our segment. And at Michigan State, that kind of went, I wouldn't say as expected. I didn't expect that big of a margin of defeat, but you know, Michigan State's starting to play well. The good thing is that the Michigan State game is starting to feel a bit like the aberration when you respond with three consecutive wins, an emphatic win at home against Purdue a big-time road win against Wisconsin, and then the Rutgers game at home, which we'll get to in a bit. But the hope that a lot of people had after the Purdue game, myself included, was that we would look back at that as the turning point of the season. And I don't want to belabor the point on that Purdue game. We talked about it a lot last week with Isaac. But to do that, 72 hours after losing the way that you did at Michigan State, that's impressive. I mean, and it wouldn't even matter the context that came before that. Beat Purdue at home by 26 and you hold them to 37 points. That's impressive, no matter the year, no matter the standings in the Big Ten. But what if that was the turning point? What if the Michigan State game, for that matter, was the wake-up call? And if I would have been saying these same optimistic things midway through the first half against Rutgers, I would feel like a doofus. I've been duped again as an Illini fan. Got all excited thinking maybe we have a turning point, but maybe we don't. Just like that against Rutgers at home. So this week, the Wisconsin game is validating in a lot of ways, not the least of which that one, your superstar played like a superstar at the end of the game. He is your closer. 
That is what an NBA player does, is in the last four minutes of the game, you always put the ball in his hands and whether or not he takes the shot. I had a great response to this after the game, and I think it was maybe Gavin Good that asked him the question. If not, I apologize you initially asked him this, but he was talking about how whether or not he gets the shot off is irrelevant to him. That as the facilitator, as the main guy, he's going to make whatever play is necessary to get that bucket. And he did time and time again against Wisconsin and Rutgers. So now you got your superstar playing at a superstar level. You have the team playing with a motor and an energy that they were not doing consistently earlier this year. And we can talk about the Rutgers game, how much energy was there. There was a lull in energy in the first four or five minutes of the first half that were really concerning to me. But then all of a sudden, Andres Fleas, Alan Griffin, they seem to kind of reignite the team. And where earlier in the year, these stretches would have went for maybe an entire half, where the team looked kind of lethargic. At least they kept it fairly short against Rutgers, and they found their legs under them. So that's big. But yeah, so the Purdue game, potential turning point, only validated by what happens the next week. Getting the win at Wisconsin, that was more than cathartic, as I mentioned. There was joy involved. When Io hit the three to go up four, so Kara's reading a book in bed, trying to maybe get some shut-eye. We got the dog in her crate already, and I know that I need to respond not very audibly, right? Don't want to wake up the dog if she's asleep, and I'm, I'm trying to keep my cool, but I could not help. Going like, you know, fist pump, standing up from the couch, emoting for the first time in a long time with Illini basketball. But not just that particular emotion. The last four minutes of that game, I was tight. My body was tight. I was not like shaking, but I felt jittery. And I'm sure I'm not alone in that. Couldn't get to sleep right away after the game. When's the last time Illini fans could say that? I know the Michigan game in December was kind of fun, but this was different. You know, for everything, all the baggage that was on this series between Illinois and Wisconsin, and for the fact that we so badly just want to make the tournament, there was this sort of release at the end of that Wisconsin game that I haven't felt in a long time. Another example of that is at the end where Georgie misses the free throw, and we're all thinking the same thing. I have Hulu Live, which is about, I don't know, 15, 20 second difference. And I can't help but refresh Twitter and see what's going on live right after Georgie misses that free throw. And I see Jeremy tweet out Georgie with some great defense there. And I'm thinking, well, that's probably a good sign. Whew. Sure enough, a few seconds later, I see it as it happened. Georgie does a good job kind of defending the rim. We get the rebound. It goes out of bounds. But was there any time left? And because they had to go review it, it was almost a prolonged celebration. It reminded me, and trust me, this is apples and oranges. When Illinois beat Arizona in 2005, I had probably five seconds before I actually processed what had just happened, that Illinois, in fact, won and was going to the Final Four. Apples and oranges again, but because of the series with Wisconsin, it took me a couple minutes as they're reviewing it to think, wait a second, they actually got this. Worst case scenario, there's point one on the clock and Wisconsin has the ball. And even then, whatever, I've seen a lot of crazy things. They aren't going to get a shot with that. So Illinois won this game, but it took me two minutes. When I did, I thought, okay, this is amazing on a bunch of fronts. For one, that you got the season sweep against Wisconsin in football and basketball. Wisconsin, more than any Big Ten team, has driven me crazy. Yes, part of it is envy. I have totally envied what Wisconsin athletics have become, while Illinois athletics, revenue sports, have fallen as far as they have. That's one. But for another, it's also remembering, even in my lifetime, when Wisconsin basketball, they were pesky. And then they were pretty good, 
But even in the Bo Ryan stretch up through, let's say, 2007-2008, you know, Illinois was still a better program than they were. We felt like we were a little higher echelon in the Big Ten. You flip that, of course, in the last decade. Even with Greg Gard, he was still doing better than, well, the end of the John Gross era and the early part of the Brad Underwood era. But man, I want to flip that again. I mean, football, Wisconsin's going to stay in the Big Ten West towards the top for a long time, and that is that is what it is. I get it. And no, Lovey, you did not catch up with Wisconsin football, despite what you said in the Sun-Times article. But you know what? They can have that. They can have football. They can keep it. I need Illinois basketball to be better than Wisconsin. I just do. Not to get ahead of myself, but after that game, I had this thought that, man, I kind of wish we were playing them again at State Farm Center. I think we beat them. I think we get the season sweep against Wisconsin. Let's not get greedy, though. Okay, we, we slayed the dragon. And for that, thank you, Illinois basketball, for getting it done. I was so tired of hearing about it. I was so tired of thinking about it. And they did it, and they did it in style. Thanks to Io. Thanks to Trent. Thanks to Alan Griffin. And if there was a big storyline on top of making the tournament or potentially being a very good team this year, it's that it looks as if this team, most of the guys are settling into an identity. Io being the star. Trent starting to play looser again. No, he didn't have a great shooting day against Rutgers, but he's, he looks like Trent, if that makes sense. Alan Griffin becoming that special player. Special is a big word that we use a lot, but I actually look at a guy like Alan Griffin with all the skills and the size, and more than that, the constant hustle. He has a nose for the ball. He's like Dennis Rodman with the shooting ability. At least for the minutes he's out there, if you got rebounds per minute, if that were a stat, it probably is. I got to think that Alan Griffin is really high up there. And then Kofi being the phenom that he is. Before we get to the Rutgers game, there are a couple concerns, though, on this roster. Georgie is the big one. A very, very poor performance against Rutgers. And I think Georgie would probably admit it himself. But the problem is, this is not all that surprising when you look at what's happened so far this season. He has looked out of sorts. His game has looked dysfunctional. For someone that was so smooth last year, a freshman phenom in his own right. And I understand that he is playing a little bit out of position compared to what he was doing last year. That's one thing. And you would expect production to decrease a little bit. But what's really alarming, and maybe that's a big word, but I think it applies, is that there's a lack of discipline going on with Georgie right now. There's this idea that, oh, I'll take the three, air ball, or I'll take the 16-foot jumper, or I'll take kind of a flailing about hook shot. These are not high percentage shots. And this is something that, just kick it out. If it ain't there, don't force it. He's starting to force things, and you wonder, is it getting in his own head? Is he kind of getting in his own way now? If there is a sport where momentum actually means something, I got to think basketball is probably it. Because you play two, maybe three games a week. You never have that much time off. And if you get hot, you tend to see these players keep rolling with it. Or if they get cold, you tend to see them stay in that rut for longer. Iowa's on the other end of the spectrum. He's had a pretty incredible month. Not that we should be surprised. This is about the time last year where he came into his own. But Georgie, this has been a whole season thing, and I don't know what that means for the rest of the season. What, eight weeks of the regular season, then you hope a prolonged postseason in the Big Ten tournament and the NCAA tournament. But if you are going to have a special season, or for that matter, a very good season by Illini standards, you need Georgie to not be the Georgie of last year, but you cannot have him be a detriment. You really don't have a lot of options at the five. It's great to have Kofi and Georgie. You know, you have some experience, at least if Kofi does get into foul trouble. But when Georgie is essentially a black hole on offense, which people rightly criticize him for being right now. I think Brad Underwood said that last month. 
then you do get a little bit worried about, well, when Kofi does get in foul trouble, is everything going to go to crap? Because you can't really trust your big, who was a sophomore, not even a freshman, but a sophomore, and has started every game of his Illini career. It's weird. I can't remember the last time that I saw a sophomore slump to this degree. And there are different expectations for Georgie, because at his best last year, he was your second best player after Io. And now... I don't know if he's even a top five player on this team. Think of the guys that are playing better than him. You got Io, you got Kofi, you got Trent, you got Alan Griffin. And as some on Twitter, Bob Zupke included, at Bob Zupke, got me thinking about how Kipper has kind of embraced this role of his. And he's playing arguably better basketball than Georgie is. Who would have thought that, right? And what a weird circle it is that Georgie fan favorite, he's catching all this flack on Twitter. And meanwhile, Kipper's kind of become the unsung hero off the bench. Where Georgie goes from here, I don't know. I I hope that he finds some consistency. I hope that he plays more disciplined. If he just simply can go back to being an eight-point-a-game guy, right? Not not double digits, because you don't need that from him. But eight points a game, six rebounds, and here's the big thing. Don't turn the ball over. And what makes that even more concerning is there are enough bad shots that he's taken that might as well be a turnover. You're throwing away a possession with some of the shots that he's taking out there. It won't count on the score sheet. But really undisciplined, sloppy play from someone I never would have expected it from. Hopefully that changes. The other concern is DeMonte Williams. And you kind of get what you get from DeMonte. A glue guy would be a kind term for it. The intangibles. And I don't necessarily dispute that. But this is where the argument, and I want to be careful with this narrative because people are kind of parroting it on Twitter. And I feel like too often we just get sucked into these neat little... I don't know, cliches about sports. This one being, it doesn't matter who starts. All that matters is who gets starter minutes. And there is some truth to that. But the long and short of it is this. Alan Griffin needs to be starting over DeMonte Williams. The first four minutes of a game are important. As important as the last four or the second half in general? No, maybe not. But I do think it's important to set a tone. But let's not overcomplicate this. Alan Griffin should be in the starting five instead of DeMonte Williams. For everything that DeMonte does well, the intangible things that we talk about, okay, fine, but Alan Griffin does those things as well, if not better. And he's getting your rebounds, and he can make shots. He didn't against Rutgers. He was one for nine from the field, but he got eight rebounds. This is what he does. He has a nose for the ball. He's a playmaker. And I can't imagine that the defensive drop-off is all that much either. So DeMonte, I guess he's out there for the defense. I know he plays his butt off. You're just limited in what you can do when DeMonte Williams is on the court, especially offensively. I like that he took a three early in the second half, didn't make it. And as the season goes on and these games continue to be tight, every minute counts. So this idea that, well, all that matters is who gets starters minutes. Let's just not overcomplicate it. Start Alan Griffin. He has earned it. And if you took a straw poll of... Division one basketball players, does it matter to you if you start? Yes, it does. Allen has earned it with this play, and I imagine that he's earning it in practice as well. So don't overcomplicate it. Have him in the starting lineup instead of DeMonte, because he might be a guy that can knock down a three or two in the opening four-minute stretch, and you enter that first media timeout with a lead. You had another rough four-minute stretch here to start the game against Rutgers. Okay, so is Allen Griffin alone going to change the fortunes of the first four minutes of every game? I don't know about that. I just think he gives you a better shot. And he should be getting more and more minutes. 
And he has been credit to Underwood for recognizing that, but just start him. Don't get cute with this. And let's not get in the trap that, well, we got a win streak, so let's not shake things up with a starting lineup. Now, as we kind of transition to the Rutgers game, that was scary. And we're starting to see that there are certain lineups that work. There are certain lineups that I don't know what the heck's going on out there with it. But often, Alan Griffin is the guy that if you're looking at when Illinois plays with the fire under their butt, what's the common denominator? Usually, Alan Griffin's out on the court getting an offensive rebound or making a play on defense or knocking down a three. And what was really encouraging about the Rutgers game with Allen is that even though he went one for nine, in a way, it didn't feel like he went one for nine. He felt like a very valuable player on the court whenever he was out there. Now, maybe that's me as an Allen Griffin fan projecting greatness onto him, even when he doesn't play all that great. And he shoots one for nine from the field. But doesn't it look like he's always active and always doing something for this team? Stardom. Keep playing in more minutes. This guy is legit, and he has a ceiling that is kind of hard to measure right now. Like I said, he's got the size, he's got the skill, he's got the pedigree. There's no reason that this guy can't be an NBA prospect in his own right. And this is something that bodes well, I think, for Underwood. You have the can't-miss guys like Io and Kofi that he's recruited, but he has done a pretty good job of recruiting these guys that are under-recruited. Alan Griffin was under-recruited. And it was one of those things that when Illinois signed him, you're thinking, well, how do we get the player of the year in the state of New York? And it was just sort of ho-hum, not a big deal. Three-star kid. But you did. So credit to Underwood and the staff for recognizing that. I imagine that's an Antigua guy with his East Coast ties. But regardless, Alan Griffin is a key player on this team. We all recognize that. Stardom. He should be in the starting lineup. Now, the Rutgers game was... Everything laid out that we were afraid of, right? The letdown narrative that you so often hear about with basketball and football. But to me, what I wanted, and I guess in a way kind of got by the end of that game, was not all that dissimilar from what I wanted from Illinois football after they beat Wisconsin and got rid of that streak back in October. What followed that game against Wisconsin in October was the rainy afternoon in Purdue. And as I sit here, and you probably hear the sub pump every every so often on this podcast, because we got like four inches of rain, the Saturday morning, 11 a.m. start, just like the Purdue game, I likened the Illinois Rutgers basketball game to the Purdue game in football, where I think sometimes it is just as important after the upset or after the big win to not have the letdown. And we all knew that. I mean, this is stating the obvious. I get it. So for me, I look at the letdown narrative and I think, okay, it's so obvious that I don't think it's going to happen. I actually think this team, they're going to recognize that, come out and play with a fire under their butts. And oh, guess what? While they were playing with effort, it was one of the sloppiest first halves I've seen in a long time. And that's saying something when you look at how many bad halves of basketball this program has had in the last decade. Offensively, they were a wreck. Georgie, as mentioned earlier, he was a big part of that. Undisciplined not looking good, but it wasn't just him. It seemed like every shot was low percentage, well-defended, kind of flailing at the hoop. And I think the announcer for BTN at one point said that teams were, Rutgers in Illinois, were essentially vomiting at the hoop and hoping it worked. Kind of felt like that, right? Now, credit to Illinois. They got the offense going. So did Rutgers to an extent in the second half. It was a much more entertaining second half. No one would dispute that. But the letdown narrative was on full display early on, despite the fact that the crowd, they showed up for an 11 a.m. tip-off. They were ready. And as Trevor pointed out on Twitter just before the game, oh boy, this felt eerily similar to last year after Illinois got a four-game win streak. 
And then you come home for the flying Illini reunion against Penn State, 11 a.m. tip, and you get the doors blown off of you. Now, nowhere in this Rutgers-Illinois game did I think that Illinois was going to get blown out. I didn't think that was going to happen even when Rutgers went up 6, 28-22. And that was the low point where I even texted a friend, I think this is a loss. At that point, with, what, 15 minutes to go in the game, no one was taking charge. Io tried at the start of the second half, but it was really the last 10 minutes of the game where he did his thing. No one was making shots, and Rutgers was starting to make threes. And I thought, well, that's a dangerous combination right now for a Rutgers team that's pretty good anyway. And I will go with that. I do think this Rutgers win, it's not going to be a marquee win. We all understand that. But at least it's going to still look pretty good. I think it has staying power when you get to Selection Sunday. So the second half is going on, and then Illinois does make their run. They tied up a 28-6-0 run based on stops and transition offense. And this is where the MVP of the game, not named Io, of course, is Andres Feliz. He got going in the second half and looked like the Andres Feliz that we saw in the first few weeks of the season, but haven't seen a lot of since. You know, just puts his head down, goes to the rim, and worst case, he's going to get fouled. Well, this time, he was getting there without much problem, making the layup, and bringing Illinois back to an even game. But even with that, Rutgers, they make some threes. I think Rutgers still had the lead at one point with about three and a half minutes to go before Illinois tied it up at that last media timeout, which the under four timeout didn't happen until, what, two minutes to go, and you're tied up 46 all. But Andres Feliz, though, that was something that was huge for this team. The fact that he looked like the Andres Feliz that really came on late last Big Ten season as well. Io was doing his thing. They were getting to the rim. And for a game that was sort of, what cliche you want to throw on it, a knock him, drag him out, sort of bruising Big Ten game, this is the kind of performance that you need from a guy like Andres Feliz. He is tailor-made for a game like that against Rutgers. I love that he emerged the way that he did. Hopefully that bodes well going forward. Because off the bench, that's a great role for Andres Feliz. That was a great move that I think Underwood made. It made sense to me because it just wasn't quite working when the three of them were together. Though I will say this, late in that second half, the best lineup offensively for this team that I saw out there was Andres Feliz, Io, Trent, Allen, and Kofi. And if the other team trots out a smaller lineup in the last 10 minutes of the game and you want to either put it away or need to make up some ground offensively, those are the five you want. Io, Trent, Andres, Allen, Kofi. A little bit puzzling late in the game where Georgie got minutes instead of Allen. I guess it worked out fine. Georgie got a big offensive rebound that helped you ice that game, get to the free throw line after that. So he got the offensive rebound. I think Iowa eventually got fouled. I'm not sure. But it didn't make a whole lot of sense at the time to take out Allen, despite the one for nine shooting. You know that he's due, as Harry Black would say. Allen was due for a big shot, I felt like. But also, he was giving you something defensively that I don't think you gained by bringing Georgie back out there. Regardless, you won. Georgie was out there for the end of the Wisconsin and the Rutgers games, and you won. Nonetheless, it was puzzling. And I'm not sure if that means that Underwood is afraid to use Alan Griffin late in the last minute of a game because he thinks he's going to make some sort of crucial mistake. But the way Georgie was playing, he did not earn that playing time late in the game. You couldn't trust him. And the one thing that, man, not to belabor the point on Georgie, and he was benched after this happened. He did not cut to the basket on an offensive possession when Io was ready to feed him. He didn't cut to the basket, and then he jogs down the court as Rutgers gets an easy layup. They took him out. Okay, so it's not like Brad Underwood didn't notice that. But I thought a stronger message could have been sent. 
And if that's me being a meathead fan and saying, well, George, you didn't try hard enough. You should bench up for the rest of the game. I don't know. But I don't understand why he was out there for the last two minutes of the game. Offensive rebound aside. And when I say that, other than Kofi, who was getting more offensive rebounds than anybody? Alan Griffin. So who's to say that Alan wouldn't have gotten that big offensive board for you? You won. It's nice to play what if after a win and not after a loss. Okay, that is a refreshing thing to do. But man, Georgie's a concern. Really concerned about that. So here we sit with a week off, Northwestern coming to town next Saturday. It's so nice to bask in the glow of victories and know that you are at least not going to lose for another week and that right now you are in sole possession of second place in the Big Ten. Now, as I record this right now, Wisconsin and Penn State, Wisconsin's up seven late in the second half against Penn State. We'll see if that holds. And I will be dating myself if I end this opening segment and then Wisconsin goes on to lose that game. That's going to be a quality win regardless. Wisconsin's going to make the tournament. They always do. They're probably going to finish top five in the Big Ten. They always do. Even though Greg Gard, he's not going to probably reach the levels of a Bo Ryan, if you will. But he does have a consistency to him. So that quad one win against Wisconsin, that ain't going anywhere. And really, they would have to fall really far for that to not be a quad one win. As Jeremy was tweeting out, as long as Wisconsin finishes top 75, it's a road win. So it qualifies as a quad one win in those net rankings. That's huge. But man, you know, that's that could potentially be a very high quality win. I don't know about marquee, but something that will help solidify you as a tournament team when we get into March. That's what's so awesome about that. What's so awesome about holding on to beat Rutgers and making the plays that you needed too late. You closed out two consecutive rough Big Ten games. This is something that after the Maryland game, if you would have told me that this team would learn how to close within a month of that game, I would have said you're crazy. And I also would have said you're crazy after the Missouri and the Michigan State games, that this is the team we would see for three consecutive games. It is not one of the all-time Illini teams. Okay, let's be real. This team has flaws. They have extended stretches where they don't look good. And that can be very frustrating when you watch it. But they are writing their own script right now. And any time a team is able to overcome adversity like this one, you know, I didn't like this team that much in December. How could you? You know, after the Miami game, this was not a very likable team because I didn't know what the hell we had with it. The effort was sometimes in question. The efficiency, certainly not there. And it seemed like this team entered the year with all these expectations that they even placed for themselves. You know, media day, they were talking tournament, tournament, tournament. While I like that, it didn't seem like they responded to that well early on. And they took a few haymakers. Missouri kicked their butt. And I hate that Missouri kicked their butt. But if you told me that for whatever reason, that and the Michigan State game, those two losses, you couple those together and that was maybe some sort of wake up call. And I might be oversimplifying it. But if it is, I'll take it. I'll take that temporary disappointment if you replace it with long term success. Long term, at least in this case, being the last two months of the year, which are where you need to be at your best to make the tournament. So they're writing their own script. And I enjoyed the script a lot more than what was being written the first two months of the season. I did get a tweet from, I think, a guy named Kevin on Twitter after the Wisconsin game, which we were all celebrating, as we should. Hey, there's plenty of room on the bandwagon. Well, Kevin, when you watch the Missouri or the Michigan State games, or you watch other non-conference games that were just sort of flat performances and you didn't know really what to make of this team, let's be honest. This team did not look all that great for the first two months. So you can call it bandwagon jumping. You can call it whatever you want. I needed to see it before I got excited about this team. I can't imagine I'm alone in that. 
But the good news is they are starting to show people that, yes, when they are playing well, they are a force to be reckoned with in this conference. And this is a good Big Ten conference. It bodes well for Illinois, I think, too, that there are not many elite teams in this conference. It's a collection of really good to pretty good. In Michigan State, they're probably going to run away with the title. They're undefeated right now, and it's hard to imagine them losing much ground because they'll get a few road wins and I think finish, let's say, what, 14-6, and six, something like that. That's going to be enough for an outright title. But in this mess between the second and the eighth best team of the conference, however that order shakes out by the end of the year, this is fortuitous timing for Illinois. That There's not three or four really good Big Ten teams that you just aren't probably going to compete with, that you have a bunch of teams that all have their own flaws. And despite that, we'll probably find their way in the tournament. Ohio State, I know they're one and four. It's hard to imagine them not figuring things out to an extent and making the tournament. Then you get to teams like Iowa. My God, I mean, even without Bohannon, they're playing really good basketball. They get a big win against Maryland. Maryland, another example. That's a game at home that I think you win. Not just because you competed there in Maryland, but also because Maryland has their own issues to deal with. And they're a different team away from home, just like anybody else in the Big Ten. So you know what? You are one of many. But I think all of those teams ultimately make the tournament. And what it came down to me with this Illinois team was just don't screw it up, right? Make the stupid tournament, as is the mantra for the rest of the season. Make the stupid tournament. Secondary mantra being, maybe you can be really good. That'd be nice. Maybe be a really good team. But this is encouraging, right? That they're closing games out. They got the road win that's been so elusive for other teams. And as we go forward the rest of this month, here's what I'm looking at before the month of January is out. Your two home games are Northwestern and Minnesota. You win those, that gets you to six Big Ten wins. Where even if you lose at Purdue and at Michigan, you'd be six and four in conference entering February. Okay, that's pretty good. But if you can somehow split those games at Purdue, at Michigan, I don't know which one's more likely. In a weird way, I almost feel like at Michigan is more likely because Livers is out. And that was already a pretty good matchup for Illinois. At Purdue, despite the fact you beat them by 26, it's Mackey Arena. No one ever really feels good about that, and they'll be they'll be hungry that game. But let's say you split those, and you win the home games, and you enter February 7-3 and three in the Big Ten with a stretch right there that's pretty brutal. At Iowa, Maryland at home, Michigan State at home, at Rutgers, at Penn State. Those are the five games where if you can just keep your head above water, you'll be in great shape. So again, 7-3, and three, let's say they split the Michigan-Purdue road games. And I have this weird feeling that they will. 7-3, and three, holding serve at home, splitting those road games, and then a five-game stretch at Iowa, Maryland, Michigan State, at Rutgers, at Penn State. That gets you to February 18th, where even if you just win the home games, and I say that like it's easy, against Maryland and Michigan State, and lose all of those road games, you would still be at 9-6, and six, entering a final five-game stretch in the Big Ten, which looks very manageable. Nebraska at Northwestern, Indiana at home, at Ohio State. Well, that's going to be tough, but you won there last year. And Iowa at home. That's a stretch right there where you should go four and five. So in the scenario that I just laid out, you're 13 and seven. How about that? Now, do I see that happening? I don't know. But 12-8 and is definitely going to get you in the tournament. 11-9 and nine likely will, too, because that would include quality wins. And other than Northwestern and Nebraska, are there really going to be bad losses in the Big Ten this year? That's one good thing about the floor of the conference being raised. 
thanks to really Rutgers and Penn State for being quality teams, now you only have Northwestern and Nebraska that you just must avoid a loss. You must avoid a loss to those teams. And if you do, okay, feeling pretty good at that point. But man, I can't believe that I just went through that schedule, found a fairly realistic path to 13 and 7, where again, if you would have told me January 2nd that night after the Michigan State game that that was even a possibility, I would have said you're crazy. At that point, I'm wondering if this Underwood thing's going to work out. And I still have my questions, especially with the offense, which is so weird to say because this is a guy that you brought in on the strength of his offenses at Stephen F. Austin and at Oklahoma State, especially the second half of that year that he was there. But, you know, if you got enough studs, ultimately, I think you get the points you need to win a lot of these games at home. And the one consistent thing this entire year, minus the first half against Miami, and let's say the second halves against Missouri and Michigan State, the defense. The defense has been the consistent. None of us would have guessed that. Kudos to this coaching staff for making it happen and for changing your philosophy for the better. I do appreciate that about Underwood. Offensive concerns aside, that he is willing to make changes. So if I have a wish list for Brad Underwood, not that he would listen to me, not that he should. Put Alan Griffin in the starting lineup for starters, and he did show earlier this year he took Andres Feliz out of the starting lineup. It ended up working out okay. Put Alan Griffin in the starting lineup. That's one. Two, figure out how much you really have to play Georgie. Right now, how much is he helping this team? And really find some sort of role for him where he is helping this team because he looks lost out there right now. And then the third one would just be offensive consistency. You know, he can't shoot for the guys. I understand that. He can't make their three-pointers. He can only put them in the best position to succeed. And that is where it gets tricky to evaluate this offense when you have poor shooting. Is it on the coach? Is it on the players? Is it some mix of that? Fortunately, offense is something that can get better. Defense can be the consistent throughout. That has been the story of the season. Defensively, they have been consistently good. If that continues throughout the rest of the Big Ten, they will find their way to a winning record in conference, and that should be enough to make the tournament. As we say here, make the stupid tournament. Feeling a lot better this week. And this is hopefully going to be a podcast that will, of course, have staying power because the Northwestern game isn't until next Saturday, but that we can relish this second place status for a week. I'd have to check the schedule and see what other teams, I mean, Maryland might win a couple games, who knows, but by the time you play Northwestern, you're still going to be a top half of the Big Ten team, and for the love of God after that game, I hope you still are, because Northwestern is terrible, despite kind of hanging in there against Indiana on the road, Northwestern's terrible. I think that says probably more about Archie Miller and that Indiana team, despite the win. Hey, they got a win at home against Ohio State. Okay, so as we wrap up this opening segment, just want to make sure I don't date myself with this Wisconsin and Penn State game. But at the moment, Wisconsin stretched that lead to 11 with about six to go. Again, that's a high-quality win. And that Micah Potter guy, that Lon, <laughs> I could actually see Lon rolling his eyes and saying, of course, of course, when Micah Potter is hitting these big shots against Illinois. Did not realize how much of an impact transfer he was. I just thought, oh, of course, we're losing to another tall white guy from Wisconsin. Go figure. But he has been terrific in this game against Penn State as well. So it's not like he's a scrub. In fact, he's a huge addition for Wisconsin. And I'm kind of hoping as the year goes on, knowing Illinois' history against Penn State especially, that this Wisconsin win can only get better and better. And hey, go Badgers. 20 points for Micah Porter in this game with about five and a half to go against Penn State, including four three-pointers. Oh, and 11 rebounds. So they got 
a superstar, it looks like, and he got his against Illinois, and he's going to get his against a lot of Big Ten teams. But man, doesn't it feel good? Episode 56, Fly By Night, tribute to Rush, Neil Pert, Illinois, second place in the Big Ten. Never would have expected this. Couldn't have called it. You know, you could say the same thing to an extent for Illinois football. No one would have expected that four-game win streak. But the weird thing is we sit here today when Wally Batiku, by the way, announces he's going pro. Uh-oh. Not, not, not that, oh my gosh, you're losing an all-Big Ten caliber guy because he was not that for much of the season. He was great early on, but whether it be injuries or a better competition, man, did Batiku fade. But you have like no depth at defensive line. And I can look at Lovey Smith back with the Bears and the best defenses he had there. An all-time defense in 2006, up to the point that Tommy Harris got injured. A lot of that defense is predicated on not having to blitz and your front four getting pressure. Well, they weren't getting a lot of pressure this year when healthy against better teams. And then next year, I'm wondering, well, who are the impact guys on the defensive line? And we can just sit here and say, well, transfer portal, transfer portal. That's a Band-Aid. It's a Band-Aid on a gaping wound. they got to figure out something with more staying power because if this is the defensive line is currently constructed that you're going into next season with, I don't know how good that defense can be. I think inevitably you couple that with the likelihood that they won't get as many turnovers. Oh, that's rough. So then you're essentially asking Brandon Peters to be all Big Ten honorable mention quarterback. You do get Josh Amaterbebe. That was a huge addition. But man, in terms of depth, you probably could have afforded a loss of wide receiver more than you could have on the defensive line. So that's something that hurts Levy and the staff. Austin Clark goes to the Dolphins. I don't know how big of a loss that is. I know he had the recruiting ties to California, but the defensive line was not all that great. How much of that is on him? How much of that is on the defensive talent that he had to work with? I don't know. You know, that's always a tricky balance. But, you know, I look at Illinois basketball. Thank God they had the week they just did. From Purdue to Wisconsin to Rutgers. Three wins in seven days. All of them impressive in different ways. The efficiency with which you beat Purdue. The way in which you went on the road and showed resiliency to beat Wisconsin and end that streak. And then to play your worst offensive performance. Let's call it what it is. Against Rutgers. You were shooting under 20% with, I think, 12 minutes to go in the game. 17.8% was their low point shooting percentage-wise in this game. They might have gotten it up to like 20 eight, 29%. So, you know, they did okay at the end. But yeah, three different ways in which they won. And if you look at the mark of a good team, oftentimes they find very unique and unusual ways to win games. They just get it done. And that's what I love about this last week. They have gotten it done, plain and simple. And it hasn't been pretty, but now I'm starting to feel like end of game situations. I'm getting comfortable. I didn't have that feeling two minutes ago that Illinois was going to blow this. Based on, you know, the way they closed the Wisconsin game. Based on the fact they have I.O. playing lights out. But now they're starting to change that own mentality, which I have to imagine has an impact in the locker room. They're seeing themselves close games out in impressive fashion. Making free throws. Getting defensive stops. Pretty soon, that becomes a habit. And we got so used to it with Illinois basketball from essentially 1998 through 2006. That was just what Illinois did. They got the stops. They would get fouled, make the free throws on the other end. They would close games out. And it felt like those disappointing finishes were few and far between. Let's get back to that. It becomes a habit. I hope that's what we're seeing take shape right in front of us. So what a week. Thank you, Illini Basketball, for making us feel good as we enter a bye week until Northwestern next Saturday. Okay, we're going to get Trevor and Isaac in here in just a second. A reminder, of course, that we are brought to you by DP Doe. 
Order online at dpdo.com for all the best deals and prices. When you consider the bang for your buck for getting a calzone loaded with cheese and toppings and meat, this thing will fill you up. And it's affordable. And all the best deals and prices, like I said, on dpdo.com. If you're a Champaign-Urbana resident, they deliver anywhere in the city. Anywhere. So they make it really easy for you. And as you're sitting in your house next Saturday before the Northwestern game, 4 o'clock tip, I think, why not order DP Doe for a nice halftime dinner as Illinois smokes Northwestern at home? And you can get any toppings you want, whether it be a custom zone or one of their many famous zones, including one of my favorites, the Maui Wowie. That's their kind of pineapple, ham, cheese, calzone. It's delicious. That's dpdo.com. Also, fourthandkirby.com. Go to Illini Union Bookstore. If you're a Champaign-Urbana resident, you're going to see a really cool spread with all the apparel of Fourth and Kirby. Or you can go online and order there as well. What I would recommend, Illini basketball season starting to look good again. There's a crew neck sweatshirt with an old-timey logo from an Illinois-Iowa basketball program in the late 70s. Looks really sharp, and it's something you could wear to the State Farm Center or in the comfort of your own home, on your couch as you watch Illinois beat Northwestern next Saturday. That's 4thandkirby.com. And of course, State Farm agent Brian Hansen, brianismyguy.com for all your insurance needs, auto, home, life, business, renters, whatever, you name it. Brian's got you covered, brianismyguy.com. Okay, one last note on Neil Pert and Rush. I remember back in 2016, I think that was the year that we lost David Bowie, Glenn Fry. I'm not an Eagles fan, but that's a big loss. And Prince. That year sucked. And I'm noticing that a lot of these rock legends, well, just naturally, they're dying. You know, they're they're dying far too often, far too frequently. And some of it is just old age. But Neil Pert had a pretty incredible journey. He was 67 years old. It was brain cancer, and he'd been battling it for three and a half years. And I guess it was a particularly aggressive form of brain cancer as well. What makes it really tragic is that back in the 90s. His daughter had died, I want to say, in a car accident, car or motorcycle accident. And then 10 months later, his wife died from, I think, cancer. But the way he put it, she essentially died from a broken heart. So what Neil Pert does, he tells his guys, I think, at the funeral of his wife, consider me retired. He tells um, Alex Lifeson and Getty Lee, the other two guys in Rush, I'm retired, which is sad news for any rock fan, but certainly understandable when you lose your wife and your daughter within 10 months of each other. I think a few years passed, but in those intervening few years, what he did was drive 55,000 miles across North America, or ride, I should say, on his motorcycle, just sort of, you know, in a therapeutic way, seeing the world and then writing about it. And this book is this very sort of introspective look at dealing with grief, and it's a brave thing to do, sharing those thoughts and feelings with the world the way that Neil Peart did, especially when he considered that he was always a quieter guy. You know, very thoughtful individual and not maybe the most outgoing or social or someone that would divulge those thoughts, right? What he did, though, was he wrote all the lyrics for Rush, and that was probably his way to express those thoughts and feelings. So one of the great success stories in rock and roll in recent history is that he came back to the band. He does this three-year journey across North America, and he tells the band, I'm ready. Let's go record. Let's go tour. And they had a great I don't want to say coda because this is essentially 15 years that they had together at the end there, touring consistently, releasing albums of a high quality. And again, one of the most devoted fan bases in rock and roll with good reason. These guys were virtuoso musicians, by all accounts, really nice guys. And Neil Peart for drummers, if you got a top five list, and I can't say that I'm influenced as a drummer by Neil Peart because I could never play like Neil Peart. That's how good he is. 
to me, John Bonham is always tops, but I'm always more of a groove-oriented drummer. I, I like that style more. But in technical proficiency, it's really hard to beat Neil Peart. Carter Beaufort of Dave Matthews Band, I think, is similar because both of those guys could have a 25-piece drum set and play it with ease and use each and every one of those drums and it not be pretentious or anything like that. Somehow they turn it into a very minimalist approach despite the fact that they are playing the crap out of the drums. So Neil Peart, an all-timer, it just sucks for rock music that he's gone. The band had already retired and hung it up. And of course, you find out that he had brain cancer. It's obvious why they did that. The weird thing that kind of crossed my mind when this all happened was my brush with 15 minutes of fame, you know, on the internet, viral, whatever, would have been when I sang Tom Sawyer with the Foo Fighters. Now, I do apologize to Neil Peart. I didn't get his words correct. (laughs) I got maybe 50% of the lyrics correct, and the rest of them I was just sort of sounding out the syllables. I was just trying to hit the notes more than anything else. So I probably did not do proper justice to the lyrics for Tom Sawyer that night. But I saw that Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters released a statement. Taylor Hawkins, their drummer, said, Neil Peart had the hands of God. That's all I got to say, essentially. And he kind of did, right? I think that was a really cool way to put it in one line that Neil Peart had the hands of God. So to have that brush with rock royalty, which I guess you could call Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters rock royalty, and to be able to perform a Rush song, of all things, just a, a weird kind of mixing of that one crazy experience I had over at State Farm Center, and then you lose somebody like Neil Peart. Usually these losses happen, and you don't have any sort of personal or even seven degrees of separation with that rock royalty, but it it struck me, and even as someone that was not the biggest Rush fan, you can't help but appreciate what they did and what they accomplished. Three guys especially. For three guys to make that kind of sound together and as lush and as full as that sound was, all of them virtuosos, all of them some of the best that ever did it. So Neil Peart, um, Godspeed. And we lost a great one, and I always rue the day that we lose rock royalty like that. And I know that there's going to be more. I know that I'm going to sometimes see Jimmy Page or Keith Richards or Mick Jagger, Robert Plant, you know, my favorites, Paul McCartney, don't even get me started. You know, those are going to happen and it's going to suck, but it, it doesn't soften the blow when it does. And the best thing to do is to go to YouTube or go to Spotify, go to Apple Music, whatever you listen to music with and fire up some Rush. And if I were to recommend any Rush song, you can go old school when they were kind of like a Zeppelin clone with some prog rock flourishes i always like some of the earlier stuff that's why fly by night the title of this episode thanks to astros jake that's an old rush song that has a very kind of riff rock sort of thing to it anthem is one of my favorite early rush songs but then you get forward to like the moving pictures album i know tom store is a cliche pick but that song is badass and if you're thinking of maybe one other deep cut from them a good friend of mine was always into this track called time stands still which is unfortunately a little bit too pertinent now given what happened, but that would be another one worth checking out. So that's uh, just something I want to say about Neil Peart as we mourn the passing of rock royalty. Okay, let's get Trevor and Isaac in here. We need to talk about the most successful Illini basketball week since, I don't know, 3-0, second place in the Big Ten, Wisconsin, they're beating Penn State, so they're still good. That's going to be a quality win no matter how you dice it. Rutgers, they might still be good. Rutgers may still make the tournament this year. Purdue, that's the question. Uh, But you're starting to compile wins against teams that will likely make the tournament, so therefore, you should make the tournament as well. Not a bad spot to be in. It's Trevor Belise, Isaac Ambrose, the 200 level. 
It is the 200 level. Mike Carpenter in the basement with Isaac Ambrose and the returning champion after three weeks, I think it's been. It's been a while. Trevor Belise, and it would have been after the Illinois-Missouri game, correct? Yep. Okay. You and Harry and I did one yeah. after Bragging Rights. That's the right. same day, post Bragging Rights. Then Harry and I did New Year's Eve, and then Isaac and I did January Ooh, 6th. Last month. Yeah, six days ago. Okay. This is episode what, 58? Episode 56, 56, 56 yeah. with okay. a rush title, of course, for Neil Pert, Fly by Night with the K after beating Rutgers. And we talked about this on the text thread yesterday, how it would have been great to just hop on the day after Wisconsin and react to that. But I'm kind of treating this podcast as looking back at the last three games, this win streak that they're on. So it's really weird, Trevor, to be talking to you when the last time that we spoke <laughs> was after the Missouri game, when if you would have told me that this is what would happen when we'd be sitting here on January 12th now. I would have said there's no way. And yet here we are, second place in the Big Ten, all by ourselves with a chance, mind you, if Wisconsin wins at Michigan State on Friday. Now there's still other teams that play two games this upcoming week. That's true. So you might be tied for first. But there is a chance to at least be tied for first by the end of next week. It was Wisconsin has the best um, away record in the Big Ten. Like true road games, I think they're three and two. So I mean on the road. On the road, yeah. This is going to be a win for Illinois, and we'll we'll get into each one of these individually, Wisconsin and Rutgers, but the fact that you did it on the road, that's one thing. The fact you did it against Wisconsin, that's another. But in terms of the highest quality win for tournament purposes, that may be the one, and that was only validated yesterday when they went on the road, Wisconsin, and they not smoked, but were consistently up 11, 12 points on Um, Penn State. Yeah, that was big for... It's just crazy because here we have today, Minnesota beats Michigan. Michigan Minnesota has now beaten Michigan and Ohio State in, in the barn. And going into the season, like the first few games, you would have thought they could have lost to Northwestern. And then it's just it, it's insane how home court has really been so big in the Big Ten. Ohio State is 11th in the nation and tied for 14th in the Big Ten. How many home games of those? They, they've lost four straight. They've lost four straight. They lost at Minnesota to kick it off. Okay. Then they lost to Kentucky. I, or no, they, uh, they beat, beat, I'm sorry, they, they beat, beat Kentucky. Kentucky. Then after that, they lose to Minnesota on the road. They lose to Wisconsin at, at home. home. Yeah. Uh, they lose to someone else on the road, I want to West, say. West Virginia. West Virginia beat them. Yeah, somewhere in there they lost to West Virginia. Yeah. So they've had these non-conference games in January? Or was any? I was, think this was, was in December. This was when like Illinois was playing Mizzou and stuff okay, like that. It. I want to say so eleven and and they're going to be fine. I think ultimately, yeah. if they go five hundred in the Big Ten, they're still going to be like a five or six yeah, seed based I mean, on quality wins. Losing at Minnesota isn't horrible. Losing at Indiana isn't. It's not like they've lost at. You know, I was going to say Rutgers, but lost that wouldn't at be a bad loss. I think losing though, at Northwestern is the only game right now, and maybe Nebraska, where you would feel terrible about your I'd agree with tournament. That tournament chances those are the two teams right there northwestern nebraska and other than that i mean if you go on the road and win at rutgers that's a quad one win yeah and actually the way they shake out against rutgers is a quad one win exactly and i don't really see them dipping all that much i think ultimately they might go like let's say nine and eleven in the big ten It'll probably end up being a quad two win that you'd be which Rutgers at home, which you is take fine, it. You yeah, because it. it should be a quad four win. Which, or, or if now is quad four win, is that basically a hundred and blow? How is that sort well, of structured? Well, the quads are one through twenty five, and then what twenty six through fifty, and then fifty one through a hundred, and then a hundred and blow. Okay, I think, and yeah, in normal years. But I'm watching that Rutgers game. We'll go again nitty gritty with each of these, as Lante would say, uh, nitty gritty in a second. But the Rutgers team, to me, has staying power based on the defense which was legit despite Illinois not shooting well. But more than that, they're big. Yeah. 
Ron Harper Jr. Long. That is it. Miles Turner. That Miles they had? Johnson. Miles yeah. Johnson inside. He's a, he's a big dude. But even their guards yeah. are like six six. Yeah. With arm span. They definitely adapted like the big tough jersey guy thing, right? They, they, they have. They didn't have their best player either, and right, Geo Baker. Baker yeah. So maybe Baker comes back and they keep winning, <laughs> and then that win looks better for Illinois. I could see it, and and I'm not. I don't think just trumpeting that. Hoping that it's the case. I could see them actually being sick. Well, I know, Trevor, you said you tweeted something about them being like the second luckiest team in the Big Ten. Yeah, coming into the game, they were the second luckiest team in the Big Ten, and I think they had more home games than any other Big Ten team. But. Right. Which, but after, and I thought, like, oh, well, maybe Rutgers is just a fluke. And then after playing them yesterday, though, I, I feel like they could be a 10 seed in the tournament. You know, yeah, I, I definitely think they, think they can make the tournament. I think that yeah. was a good team. Yeah. I'll I mean, have to look at their schedule, though, to right. see because they have had breaks so far. Well, like they yeah. got Penn State at home. Which is a good win, but also, you know, they beat Penn State last year at home as well. They beat Wisconsin at home, right? They beat Wisconsin at home, which they'd also done a few years ago. Seton Hall was a good win, but again, at home. Right. So, you know, I I don't think, like, if it's Rutgers at Ohio State, I'm giving them a chance to win that game. But I think that's going to be a 10-point game instead of a 40-point game, which says something about how Rutgers has progressed. Because remember, Rutgers was pretty good last year, but then they lost... Their best player, uh, Omarui, yeah. he transferred. Mm-hmm. And so everybody thought, okay, well, Rutgers was on the up and up, but then the only true star player they had left. So then it's like, okay, well, maybe reassess Rutgers. They'll still be at the bottom, but they managed to to still be pretty good without them. Yeah, as I look at this right now, so Rutgers, they set at 12-4, and four, and their upcoming schedule looks like this. Indiana and Minnesota at home. I mean, I'm hey. not going to count them out of either of <laughs> no. those. They're gonna, I think they're going to win both. And then you get Iowa on the road, which that place, as we saw with Maryland last Friday, mm-hmm. that's going to be tough to Garza win. Garza may be the best player in the Big Ten. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Scoring, for sure. Scoring has gone like 44, 30, 40, and 20. Against good teams, yeah. too, for yeah. the most part. And then Nebraska and Purdue at home. So they have four, four of wow. their next five yeah. are at home. <laughs> and then they do have a gauntlet here in February at Michigan, at Maryland. Northwestern at home at Ohio State, but I look at Rutgers and think right now as they sit here, they already are three and two in conference with a win at home against Wisconsin, a win at home against Seton Hall. Those are two quality wins that would get them in the tournament if it were held today. Penn State's going to be the team to watch though, because I, I feel like what would have been considered a quality win back on Tuesday for Rutgers and for any other Big Ten team for that matter, I see Penn State doing the normal Penn State thing, which is to say finish like 17 and 14 just miss and fizzle yeah i see them fizzling yeah i'd love that we're talking about Rutgers and penn state basketball it's just like hilarious and if you think if there's one fan base in the big 10 that you may feel worse for than Illini fans it's Rutgers fans because they haven't what they haven't made the tournament since like they got the longest streak in the nation 1991 it's just you just feel so bad for them because you know there's got to be a at least a small group of people out there in new jersey thinking like Dear Lord, what did I do to possibly be a Rutgers fan? Like, and they look at us and kind of envy us. Yeah, isn't and that, that a nice position in, to be in? To be it envied? is. Well, this is kind of a, a different version of the "it should matter, but it does" game. Yeah, right? I was just Which thinking that fun. on the way down today. How back in football season, it should matter, but it doesn't. But now we're kind of flipping that, and we're seeing this Illinois team close out games and beat quality opponents. And then as we're kind of finding these wins are being validated, whether it be Purdue. Smoking Michigan State today after you hold them to 37 points less than a week ago. Well, I guess a week ago. They had the first half. Crazy. (laughs) And then you see the Wisconsin game. You know, as I'm watching that Wisconsin Penn State game, I watched about, you know, 10 minutes of actual game time yesterday, but it seemed like the entire time Wisconsin was just doing their thing. Micah Potter is a Potter reporter. Potter. 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 He's a stud. He had 24 and 13, Uh I think. 
And of course, which we're was wa- nice because it wasn't just the Illinois flu, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Aubrey we're- Dawkins hits nine threes against you, and you think, man, and then he never does anything again. He, he transferred from somewhere. Ohio State. Ohio State. Okay. Yeah. Right. I mean, he was a highly rated recruit. It's not like he was a nothing transfer. That but is an interesting lateral transfer, though. Usually, you think you weird. transfer up or down, and they sat him for trans- one semester instead yeah. of a year. And Ohio State could have made a fuss about it, right? Yeah, it was kind of like so. a Kipper Nichols thing where he was allowed to play starting in December. We'll get into Kipper. In he a bit. wasn't a Kipper Nichols thing in terms of scoring twenty four and thirteen. <laughs> Who but. thought that Kipper would be one of the feel good stories of the year? And I don't say that tongue in cheek. Well, I think since Georgie's been so bad, people kind of forget where Kipper was like last year and to start this year. I guess he is. Yeah, he's less in the doghouse. I mean, Brad still makes it seem like Kipper does everything wrong every time he steps on the court, but. It is interesting. I mean, he's being forced into playing time and not screwing it up. So if that's what a feel-good story is, I guess he is. To me, it is compared to where he was last year. It was such a dysfunctional mess with Kipper that now you're seeing him kind of embrace this role as, you know, jack-of-all-trades. He can do a little bit of everything. And then he had one move to the hoop yesterday that was particularly nice. And you know he's capable of that. He's like... 10 to 15% of what you thought T.J. Holyfield would be. Essentially. Well, I'd much rather have T.J. Holyfield, but he's kind of filling a little bit of that role, right? Well, if Alan Griffin continues to do his thing, then I'm less and less sure. concerned about the Holyfield thing. That that would have probably helped you to, let's say, the Miami win, to yeah. have a solidified three right. back in December. By the way, I saw Miami's 10-5, and five and they have another game tonight at home against, I think, Wake Forest or well, something. Well, we can root so for them. awful. No, and it, it would not be, I don't think, a <laughs> loss that comes Selection Sunday would keep you out. I think... Ultimately, though, it just made it that much more imperative to get quality wins. Also, Missouri just won at Florida, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. Or, or I think it was at really Florida. at home, yeah. but Florida's also dropped off. But I do think we've kind of, with the few big wins that we have, I mean, there can't be many better, there can't be many teams in the top 25, honestly, with more quality wins in Illinois right now. And I say that to say, I think we've had more quality wins that we erase the Mizzou and the Miami. And I think we're now like a step ahead. We've balanced it out. Yeah, I, I, which I is kind of like what we were talking about in football, right? Where you go, would you rather have beaten Eastern Michigan and lost to Wisconsin and beaten Nebraska and lost to Michigan State or had those horrible losses? I don't know if Nebraska was a horrible loss, but you should have won that game. There, yeah. there are worse there, losses. And but, had yeah. you know more euphoric wins. That makes sense, and I think I would have taken that path minus the whole losing the last three games of the season. Sure, yeah. Right. yeah. But you did offset those early disappointments with the – monumental win against Wisconsin. And let's let's start with that in just a second. But a reminder that the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe, and you can get all the best deals and prices online at dpdoe.com. Fourth and Kirby, you can get a nice Illini basketball crew neck sweatshirt, whether it be at fourthandkirby.com or the Illini Union Bookstore. And State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com, Trevor's favorite web domain. I mean, it's pretty cool. I don't know how he got it. No. Brian's such an ordinary name. You'd think someone out there would have had brianismyguy.com. You would think so, but good marketing on their part. Good and, of him. course, Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. So, as we said here today, sole possession of second place in the Big Ten. Never could have predicted that. But let's go back to Wednesday because even though Rutgers is the most recent example of this team starting to kind of figure out what they are, the Wisconsin game I would love to look back on even more so than the Purdue game as the signature moment of this year if they go on to make the tournament. But for me, let's go even larger picture. I can remember distinctly watching the game back in 2010 at Wisconsin. I was just out of college, went over to a friend's place where he was living at Tower 3rd. So that's, uh, what, 3rd and John on campus? And this was, I think, four days after the game day against Illinois and Michigan State. 
And at that point, I made a joke yesterday during the Rutgers game with you guys, a joke or an observation, I guess, that, hey, remember the last time Illinois won at Wisconsin, we didn't make the tournament either. Yeah. Yeah. That's when things scary. weren't looking so good against Rutgers. I don't know how they didn't. Did they falter down the stretch a lot? They did. Well, here's the problem. Because at that point, I think they were at least four or five games above 500 with those two quality wins. I think the Big Ten was weak that year. Yeah. And I think that in February, they had about, I don't know, lost four or five. And there was okay. one game at home against Minnesota in particular, on a Sunday afternoon, where the, the sense was you just need to win this game. Didn't it go to overtime, or was that another I think one? it did. And you lost in overtime? I, I think it did. Trevor I hate and those games. In yeah. the meantime, Isaac, could you look up 2009-10? Yeah. I was just going to say, kind of looking up in the future, so Trevor said, you said something yesterday about how 11, 11 a.m. Saturday games are the worst, and we never like yeah. seem to play. We play Michigan at 11 a.m., and... On January twenty fifth, it's at Michigan. Hmm. Um, I think they win yeah. that game. Do you? I well, okay. let me put it this way, and I said this to you before we hit record. I find that game far more likely of a victory than at Purdue. I a hundred percent agree with that. I'm giving them like a five percent chance to win at Purdue. And it's so bizarre because we're seeing the this narrative persist in the Big Ten that home teams win thirty two and five. <laughs> <laughs> Which, even for how much home court means in basketball, that's ludicrous. Well, and as Isaac pointed out, Illinois and Wisconsin account for, what, four of those five? Yeah. <laughs> I mean... It's it's crazy. And to think that if we would have had the Maryland game, which we, oh, we can man. talk about, yeah. oh, what ifs, I do think... It's to, okay. It is, now, to me. Like I, I, yeah. It doesn't keep me up at night, but still. I think that the Wisconsin game, we can look at it two ways. It offset the fact that you lost to Missouri and Miami. And I think it's a high enough quality win to do that. Yep. Where neither of those would appear if we had index cards. Let's say the selection committee used index cards and they had a short list of quality wins and bad losses. Well, can we really call Miami a bad loss? No, but it would have been like, well, how good is this team? Quality wins totally offset that, especially when you get them later on in the year. What happens in January and February, if Illinois goes on 11-9 and nine in the Big Ten, it won't matter what happened in December. Yeah. And what did you want to see from 2009? Okay, so well, I was just curious what what happened down the stretch in 2000. Like, what was the record after that Wisconsin win? I'm okay. thinking at that point they were ranked for sure. Oh yeah, no, they were. Yes. Okay. So this is fe- early that February. That game was on ESPN, and Febu- as you mentioned, the game was interrupted because Pat Summit was one thousandth game. Yep. yep. Okay, so Illinois played Michigan State on College Game Day, February sixth. Great game. Then we play at was number eleven Wisconsin and win, which would have been the last time. So this is two thousand February two thousand ten. February two thousand ten. Yeah. Yeah. And then you lose to Ohio State. You lose to Purdue, but Ohio State was thirteenth and Purdue was fourth. Uh, hmm. You beat Purdue. Was that so? That would have been the era. Jawan Johnson, Robbie Hummel, Lewis Jackson. Those was guys. that the game where the guy uh, grabbed a miss on the free throw, remember, and he kind of like electric slid out of bounds and called the timeout and they gave it to him? Was it against Purdue? DJ I mean, that Bird. sounds like something yeah, Purdue would do. Bird. Oh, God. Ask Lon about him. Yeah. Okay, so favorites. you go into Chrysler and beat Michigan, and then you're huh. 18 and 10, I, and then you I, proceed I, to lose to Minnesota, mm-hmm. Ohio State, and Wisconsin. So you finish 18 and 13 going into the Big Ten. Tournament. I remember the Wisconsin game because it was senior day for McKamey. Or no, no, because he came before. back the next year. But now, now it, you enter the Big Ten tournament, and correct me if I'm wrong, you win the first game you against beat Purdue. Number 13, Wisconsin. Oh, Wisconsin, you that's beat right. Wisconsin again in the 5 4. And then on Saturday, you face Ohio State, and they're uh, ranked highly. Number five, Ohio State, you lose in overtime. Top five most frustrating losses in my life. Honestly. It was terrible. Because we knew. I hated that, that, that game. Because Brandon Paul had a chance to win it at the end of regulation. And I think was it like, he like lobbed it to Mike Davis, who put it up and missed it. But it was like a bunny, and, he, and if he had got it, he would have won. And then at the end of overtime number one, same exact thing happened, and I don't think they even got a shot off. 
and then you lose in double overtime. Can we check real quick? Yeah. And I know we're, belab- we're delaying the Wisconsin talk here, game. but as we're playing remember one, go back to non-conference because I'm trying to remember okay. that season. I feel like they beat North Carolina at home. They did in the ACC Challenge. But I don't know if it was 09 or 2010 because Jeremy oh. Richmond, I think, was on that Illinois team. Okay, I'm... You're right. That was the next year because that was when yeah. they beat UNLV and then lost to Kansas in the tournament. That's that correct. That in 2010-11. Team. So in 2009, that non-conference is, season... Is that when they what lost were... to Bradley in, the, uh, in that Invitational? They might have lost yeah, to Bradley. This is, so this is the 2009-2010 season. They lost to Bradley uh, hmm. November 28th. Uh-huh. I'm not right seeing North Carolina on here. Okay, okay so that would have been the next year. I just, the next year. You're 18-10, and 10, and I know you falter down the stretch to yeah. be, what, 18-13. and 13, but Who then else you, did they lose in that non-conference? Uh, they lost to Utah. And that, was, that was the same weekend yeah, as Bradley. Was and Georgia. It was like the Las Vegas Invitational, and you got swept. You lost to Georgia. You lost bragging rights, and then you proceeded to lose to Gonzaga. Weber. Before Gonzaga just, was ranked. Oh, know, that like, was the game. Overtime at the United Center? Was that Dominique Kel- Was that January 2nd, 2010? Correct. Oh, yeah. That was at the United Center, United right? United Center, yep, yep, yep. yep. I just I don't know like like that would have been what like a twenty and thirteen record. You win a Big Ten tournament game. You have enough quality wins. I'm surprised they didn't make it. If they beat Ohio State, they would have been twenty and thirteen. But at that point, okay. they were nineteen and fourteen. Okay. Really quick, that's a lot of losses. Yeah, right there. you're right. Real quick before we move on, remember when this is super random. I don't know why I remember this. The Providence game a few years ago when we I think we lost by like one or yeah, two. Finky, uh, Chris Dunn. Fink, somebody tried to dunk, somebody or, yeah I think Finky tried to do a putback dunk and we would win have win won the game. Yeah, he bricks it off the backboard. And <laughs> Goes out to the three point line, and I think we missed a shot. I think or none like missed that. a three. Then, that was yeah. that's I don't know why that sticks in my head, but that's one of the most frustrating losses because you try to put back dunk and you're just not athletic enough to do that. <laughs> the icky, stinky yeah. five year stretch of missed dunks was pretty, f- yeah. oh gosh. Um, now the Providence game, though, in fairness, didn't mean no, anything it, because no. that team lost. The thing that's frustrating about that, that one was I think another upset had happened in that Big Ten tournament, and I think you would have been facing like 11th seed Penn State if you had beaten Ohio State that day. Oh, you're I talking think, back in 2009, yeah, 2010. Yeah. yeah, I think you're correct about that. Jim and, Nance was calling the game. Like, it, it, I don't know. I just vividly remember watching that and being frustrated out of my mind by that. And keep in mind that Evan Turner and Ohio State, they wouldn't have even been in that game. If not for the half-court shot to yes, beat Michigan. Right. That's ridiculous. Now, granted, though, I don't know if a win against Michigan, who that year you had already beaten, I don't think they were ranked they at that very, point. No, they weren't. That I don't think that win would have necessarily got you over the top. So really, right. it set it up for you to get the really high quality win and get in the tournament. Don't you hate that, man? And and you think of the streak, and this is where oh man, we are really going off on tangent. <laughs> but Bruce Weber, and what drives me crazy because I don't see a lot of this, and even our friends over Champagne Showers Podcast Network, they they are pro Weber. But I feel like that's only because absence makes the heart grow fonder. When when you live through it. You were just talking about John Gross like he was good. Well, hold on. <laughs> so, yeah. The, the point with that was that technically he was three games away from making yes, four no, out of five right. tournaments, right. which is bizarre to think about. But he didn't make them. He didn't win those yeah. games. But when I go back to the Weber era, when you add in the context of what he inherited, it is remarkable how far they fell and how quickly, too, because you go from Final Four to a second-round exit, right. to a first-round exit, right. to a team that made the Big Ten t- tournament final but still finished well, like 14 and 18, yeah. right? And then you climb back, and then the best year he had after the final four, you could argue, was 08-09 when you were four-seed. Chester Frazier got hurt before the Western Kentucky game, yeah. and he lost that. Yeah. But everything else, it just felt like missed opportunities. No, you're right, though. I mean, it took less than four years to wipe the, I mean, it's not stink, off a national title appearance. The glow. Yeah. That seems almost hard to do. 
physically to be able to in four or five years completely erase that? I, I don't think you'd have to ask Lon about this as well. I, I don't think I'm quite as strong as he is about this. But he has, I think, an element of him, Juan does, about never being able to really forgive Bruce Weber for that. And I get it, because having lived through that, it did feel like, well, at least top 20 consistently, that's attainable. Sure. That's right there for you. But what I really hated towards the end there, and Tom Izzo would do it, Matt Painter would do oh, it. Oh, when they, yeah. Oh, you know, he's a great coach, and it would just be a shame if he got fired. And oh, we're Izzo, living through it, and yeah, we're thinking, give me a break. Izzo was, like, openly campaigning for him towards the end of his last season. Like, remember when they lost in Nebraska, mm-hmm. and DJ was crying? <laughs> No, Myers was. I, Myers maybe was DJ crying. was too. Well, DJ wasn't. DJ was on that team. Yeah, junior. I don't know who was crying. A lot of people were crying. Myers was for sure crying. I remember literally later that night, because this was when Twitter had just started, mm-hmm. and I remember I was on Twitter. I probably did the same thing Isaac did. Yeah. I don't know how I haven't been banned. Careful, if they're listening, you <laughs> don't, don't get banned yeah, too. Don't tell Twitter. Um, and Tom Izzo in his press conference after a win, the first thing he said was, essentially, "Don't fire my boy Bruce Weber." And I just thought, that is so weird. It is, and it's kind of collusion for it someone is. that's that big <laughs> up in the Big Ten. And there was a game earlier that year when Illinois went 4-1 and one to start the conference. And I'm certainly not thinking this year is going to go that same direction, right? I, it feels like there is an upper trajectory. 2011? 2011-12. Okay. Weber's last year. Yeah, he started 4-1, yeah. and, one, and that yeah. included the Brandon Paul game against Ohio right. State. Oh, right. Which I was there for. I was like fifth row with a friend. Yeah, was and it 44, was 44, right? Uh, 43, 43 or 44. 43, okay. Yeah. On Lou Henson's birthday there was some reason that he was something being like that maybe they were putting his banner up in the, in the could have been that I but i i also remember too not just the points but he got a block at the end of the game yeah. on solinger yeah. well yeah. that was after the insane three less than like five seconds later mm-hmm. solinger tried to answer with a quick bucket and he came flying out of nowhere and yeah. knocked it out of bounds that was fun that was a lot but of fun the next game you go on the road to penn state and lose to of course a, uh, you know they, they upset you penn state is our bugaboo we which, haven't beat them i think in the last six tries it was like 20 Beginning of 2016 or 2015 or something like that. And and what blows my mind about that is now you got Penn State. They've lost to Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there goes the dryer. We got a dryer, sub pump, and heater going, so we apologize for the white noise. <laughs> and I have a cold, so I apologize <laughs> for the gnat sound of me clearing my That's throat. That's okay. It's nice ambiance. The for dog's sure. not barking yet. The dog is not barking yet. Good it's Rosie. about nap, nap time for Rosie. Who's the dog? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm thinking back to, uh, well, first off, with Penn State and Wisconsin. Now Wisconsin's, they've, they've got a stranglehold on Penn State. And that reminded me yesterday, too, about how cathartic it was to beat Wisconsin. Because that that is pales in comparison to the 15-game losing streak that Illinois basketball. And this is what is just so bizarre to even say it now that it's done. That Illinois basketball lost 15 consecutive games to Wisconsin. And that includes four years of gray guard. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even like you just lost to them on the road every year. No, they would come in here and win fairly all the games were close uh, i don't know if i talked about it on here or with lawn but i was talking to something like every game was like 78 to 69 they were you know what i mean but because it's wisconsin well they were never close it, those yeah. nine points but you like 20. you yeah. also beat indiana at home you beat a few big teams on the road and at home since you last beat wisconsin yeah, right yeah and so, to me it feels like penn state after wisconsin penn state is illinois biggest and we do are. we hurt them at uh, February 18th, I think, on the road. And we don't play them here, I don't no, think. Nope, just on the road. <sighs> See, what I'm hoping is that they've fallen off enough by then. But okay. even then, it, it's just Penn State, this, and I never uh, feel comfortable going into Bryce Jordan. This is really odd. Do we, <laughs> it's like a cemetery in there. A, a Tuesday 5.30 start. Okay, At I like your early State. start. At Penn State. Because you're playing time to watch some... By the way, I finished Mandalorian. Great. Oh, I loved it. God The dang, ending was man. great. Okay, so... Penn State is the next hurdle, but now that you got Wisconsin out of the way, 
I need to be honest, and I, I want to get your guys' thoughts on this too. I cannot remember enjoying or relishing in an Illini basketball victory like that in a long time. And the, the biggest indicators to me were this. One, the final four-minute stretch, I was not like shaking violently, but my body was tense. Yeah. I was really tightly wound for those last four minutes to the point where I could feel some jitters. Like I so badly wanted this and I almost didn't want to acknowledge it to myself. Mm -hmm. And when they finally got the win, I also had this delayed reaction. Apples and oranges here, not to compare the two, but in 0405 when they beat Arizona, I don't know about you, but I had this sort of five, 10 second delayed reaction. This sort of did we just it doesn't feel real. Did we win? Yeah. Is yeah, it actually, actually over to the buzzer sound? After Michigan State yeah. in football. Okay. For, for yeah. Just yeah. a quick second, like what the hell just happened? Because less than thirty real time minutes earlier, you were down thirty-one ten or whatever. Yeah, when Daniel Barker caught it, same. I had the same feeling where I was waiting for the flag. Right. I'm waiting, and then even after that, right, I'm waiting for. We're going well, please don't bowling? let them return the kick. And, <laughs> yeah. I was at that game, and I was in the corner. You where, were at the Michigan yes, State game. I was at. I was wow. in the corner where Barker caught it, and all the other Illinois fans were cat a corner on the opposite <laughs> side. So I remember catching it and screaming like with my parents and. Then like them over there, it was delayed, and I was like, "Why is it so quiet?" And then like they picked it up like five seconds later, yeah, and yeah. they start going wild. And man, it was made like three MSU fans, of course, were just like yelling me to sit the f down and stuff like that. But um, it's it's a lot easier though to accept those. But you were right though, like when, you when he when Barker caught that ball, I was still like, "There, there's no way we just came down from came back from twenty eight to three. Yeah, and, and it was the bowling thing because you were going yeah. bowling, and the too. Wisconsin <laughs> thing. We hadn't been hitting, we hadn't been shooting that well, but we stayed in the game. And then Allen yeah. hits the three, Trent hits Trent the hits three, three, and then Io, you know, puts the team on his back. And it's like we snap our fingers and we're winning this game. So it just By four. Didn't feel, yeah. And, and that was the thing too is when he went up four, and then Wisconsin, of course, Kobe second King, chance opportunity. Yeah. I think. Yes. Kobe King. Or Kobe three, King. Yeah. yeah, of course. And well, and it looked like thinking, Trent got had gotten fouled or something on, on the attempt to rebound, but whatever. Of yeah, course, Trent got three. rocked yesterday, and it didn't it, get same called. thing yesterday yeah. against that ahead. young guy. Yeah. Yeah. And he came back on the court. But, but for me, it was that delayed reaction. And of course, they go to replay check see if there was any time left on the clock but even then i'm thinking well wait worst case scenario it's point one which you can't even wisconsin would have to lob it and yeah. literally tap it into the hoop and okay that's probably not gonna happen i thought about just quickly i, I remember ben brust for wisconsin hit a three against michigan with 0.3 seconds left yeah. from half court to win a game and I, so i for some oh, reason i just wow, thought that's right i thought or maybe it was to tie the game and send it to overtime okay. i don't know what it was so i thought as long as there's not point three i'm okay i do remember that okay and then i remember too back in 2003 illinois played at wisconsin this is brian cook's senior year devin harris and alondo tucker were on wisconsin this was essentially for the big 10 title second yeah. to last game of the year where if illinois won they would have guaranteed a share of it and devin harris got fouled with like point 1.2 seconds to go of course, makes the free throws. Wisconsin wins the game, but for me, that that is why it was so crazy. Was that it wasn't some insurmountable comeback? It was a six-seven point lead for Wisconsin. You hung around, and it's not like it was the most exciting game either. Because for me, it felt like thirty-six minutes of it. You're you're clawing just to keep it within five yeah. or six, and you did to your credit. But everything happened so quickly in those last four, and the delayed reaction I had when I finally was able to kind of release an emotion, it was not just catharsis or relief, which I thought those were going to be the main feelings that I had. But it was, wait a second, we might have, we might be playing our way in the tournament now. It, it was taking the short term and expanding it long term to think that this is something that will make the difference. Yeah. Well, it, you brought up the seven point lead that you were kind of keeping at bay. There was one point, I think it was with, with four minutes left, where they went up. 
I want to say like 65 to 58 or something like that. I think they were up seven. That was their last big lead. they had the ball. Lead. Yeah. And, I, and at that point, you're thinking, okay, well, you know, it's a good effort. You're going to lose by six, and it's going to be maddeningly frustrating because it'll be a moral victory. So just the fact that it didn't go that way says something about the team, I think, right? Because I think so, too, because you're looking at a team that back in December, whether it be – we can go back to Nichols State. Yeah. Couldn't close that game. You finally did. I forgot about that. By the that. skin of your teeth. Overtime, right? Yeah. There's no over- it, overtime. It feels win? almost like a, <laughs> it feels like a Michigan State type team. Not that we've rose to where Michigan State is, but they would always, and they even did this year, they would always lose those November games. And then when they start to pick it up, like, you better watch out. And it's just crazy. I'm not saying Illinois, oh, everybody be scared of us now. But Though, like, oddly enough, we seem to beat Michigan but State. Think, yeah. even I remember after times. watching the Grand Canyon game, I was like, dear God, like <laughs> we are so far away from being where we need to be. And then the Arizona game was obviously disappointing. The so. Missouri game. Yeah. Yeah, which was like crazy. Michigan, that was a couple weeks Michigan ago. Michigan State game, and I know that they're playing better ball, not today against Purdue, but they are playing like Michigan State we're accustomed to. But if you look at that game, it got away from me in the second half where I actually was starting to think, if they lose to Purdue at home, we got an issue. Yeah. But you then you you immediately flip the script, and not only do you beat Purdue at home, because every home team wins in the Big Ten, that's not in and of itself that impressive, but you win by 26, and you completely dominate them, which led me to think, well, what the heck? If there is a weird time to go up to Wisconsin and win, maybe tonight is it. But yet, even with that thought of, well, maybe 36 minutes of game time, you're still in the usual spot that you are against Wisconsin. So that yep. it, it wasn't the 15-point comeback against Arizona, but when you consider everything going against Illinois, and they knew about the streak because Kofi mentioned the dates. Yeah. Yeah. Even the road record, too. Yeah. Right. I mean, you're sitting there at the under-four timeout thinking, in a toss-up game, the home team in a Big Ten game has won, I, don't, I forget what it was at that point, like 22 out of 24 times. Yeah. So the odds were extremely not in Illinois' at favor. At Cole Center of all yeah, places. right. Right. And you did. So now that you get that under your belt, the next thought is, well, don't blow it against Rutgers. And for Which about would have been the most Illinois thing to do, right? Yeah, for about 25, 20, let's call it 28 minutes of game time. Up until that 12 minute timeout in the second half, it felt like that was maybe the direction it was going. I even texted you guys. I said, this feels like a loss. <clears throat> the it, offense it feels bad. The offense, I was thinking today, this morning, I was kind of like, Illinois' offense right now feels like an SEC football team. Now, in the sense where the defense is usually so good that you kind of just need a couple game managers on the offensive side of the ball to keep you in the game, keep you up. And Andres Feliz to get you that layup just yeah, to hold exactly. the other team at you bay. You need Io right? to you know, drive on somebody and Allen to maybe hit that late three. Kofi to get an easy layup. And I mean, the right. defense has just been astounding. Like, as, as bad as the offense has been, the defense has been as good as anybody in the Big Ten. So. With a couple exceptions, and that would just be Miami first half right, and right. Michigan State second half. Yeah, and the reverse of that would be like a Big 12 offense. Needing their defense to come up with, which is what we know, were last year, technically right, one timely interception or something, right? And then, yeah, because they're going to score fifty whatever points in college football, and that'll be enough to get the job done. If you would have told any Illini fan after the Michigan State win last year in basketball that, yeah, well, next year you're going to go on to greater success, but you're going to do it completely differently than how you did it tonight. Literally the polar opposite. Yeah, you are a grinded out kind of team, which made me actually optimistic going in that Rutgers game thinking you were going to out Rutgers, Rutgers. And that's why in a weird sense, the Wisconsin game, I thought maybe finally you got the horses to out Wisconsin, Wisconsin. Ultimately, you did. You had just enough to do it and escape by the skin of your teeth. But with Rutgers for 28 minutes of game time, and it was really that stretch. There were two stretches. Down 28-22, you tied up. Yep. But even after that, 
you see Rutgers continue to just either have the game tied or they go up one or two. And you are down at one point, I want to say under the four minutes. You didn't have the under four timeout until two to go. They hit two threes. I think they were up six, right? With up four, six or four. Up six or four with four minutes. At least left. four with at the it was four like minute maybe mark. Maybe forty six, forty two. That that sounds like correct. That. Okay. And then you ultimately get it knocked knotted back up at forty six mm-hmm. with two to go. That was when Andres had that little fadeaway bank, yeah, bank shot that he tied, tied it, to it up. Yeah. yeah, boy, has he? They needed that, and they they will need Andres Felice if he can resume or go back to the Andres Felice we saw second half of last year. Yeah, off the bench. Yeah, and he he got kind of slept on yesterday because Io obviously took over the last few minutes of the game. But Andres, I think all eight of his points were in the second half, mm-hmm. and he had a bad first half. Yeah, he did play. He looked did. really Which bad. Plenty of people were sure to tell me on Twitter that he, I was should be embarrassed for saying that he had a bad first half. We'll, we'll get to the half. I told you so contingent <laughs> oh, in a bit. Geez, but, but Andres, I mean, he was co-MVP to me because when Io wasn't even scoring, when nobody was yeah. scoring, he had eight big points in the second half. Well, I wish he'd do that more often with yeah. my reaction. Like a, My 1A reaction is that's awesome, and my 1B reaction is like, I miss this aggressiveness from him. Yeah. Because the last few games, I liked what you, would you describe it as like kids running around a playground or it something? It feels <laughs> as if you have five kids and you're like, all right, everyone run around. Have you seen Kicking and Screaming? Oh, um, the Wolf Will Ferrell, Ferrell movie? I movie? actually no, I have haven't. back in the day. So it's not terrible. They're they're not having fun, I believe, and they're basically like, all right, we're all just going to run around in circles until somebody gets open. And that's what it makes <laughs> me think of. Like, right, right. The offense isn't clicking, and you've seen Io run from the baseline out around the three-point line, gets a screen, then he goes back to the baseline. And this is DeMonte who does yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Anyways, my point was you saw Andres doing nothing but that right. for a few games. And then start, starting in the second half, whether the lane opened up or whatever it was, he was just taking it to the basket every time. And regardless of whether or not he makes a shot, I just wish they'd do more of that. Yeah. I, I love Io and Andres's game when they get to the rim. And for some reason, often there's like some force field and they pull up for a 14-foot elbow jumper. To Io's credit, he does knock that down more times than yeah. not. And he's someone that needs that at his disposal if he's going to go Right. Pro. I just I, I loved how aggressive they were getting towards the rim in the final 10 minutes of the game yesterday, and I wish I'd see that more. Yeah, and it actually goes hand-in-hand hand <laughs> with this identity that this team's kind of cultivating, which is defense and rough it up, just kind of well, muck it up, I guess, would be yeah. the sort of thing that they're doing, and they're yeah, doing they're fairly well. And yeah. when you do that, and you get, just like yesterday, you get Rutgers into the bonus with quite a bit of time left in that second half, and this is a pretty good free-throw shooting team, too. Other than Georgia, Georgia's struggling. I was going to say, uh, one, the main big concern I had after the Wisconsin game was free throws, because if you look back, if Illinois made a few free throws, we could have won that game by five Oh, man, six. I mean, Georgia missed the free throw with 15 yes, seconds exactly. left, and if they had am made I, a shot. Am I mistaken to think this is an okay free throw shooting team? Because the Wisconsin game was bad, the yes. Rutgers game was good. Well, the Michigan State like game a, was bad, bad, I believe. Trent's like a 90% shooter. Okay. Io's... I mean, he. I think he hit all six of his clutch free throws yesterday. Okay, so we are 71.8%, which is 118. 71.8%? Which is 118. Oh, by the way, this is going to totally date ourselves here <laughs> because people will be listening to yeah. this Sunday evening or Monday or Tuesday when this game is already over, but Kansas City just scored 28 straight points. What? 28-24? <laughs> 28 straight points all in the second quarter. And as my dad had texted oh my me right, gosh. I mean, this is about 30 minutes of real time since we hit record. Yeah. It was 24 nothing, then 24-7 after that. And my dad had texted me that Houston had a fourth and goal, or a fourth and one at the 13 and elected to not go for it. They kicked the field goal to go up 24 nothing, And from that moment forward, Kansas City goes on this crazy run. Maybe, I don't know if you guys watched, this is really dated too, but if, if you watched last night, the Ravens, 
went for it a couple times mm-hmm. instead of kicking the field goal. And I mean that that sort of kept him out of the game. So, it did. You know, it did. You, maybe Houston was Bill O'Brien was maybe watching that game last night. It could have been, and you would think you have a good enough defense to not wow. allow twenty eight points in that's a quarter. Crazy. But <laughs> that's gonna be a fun second wow. half to watch. Okay, yeah. so. Uh, back to this team, though. Free throw shooting. I did not realize that it's border. I mean, it's dangerously close it's to like middle the, of the 60s. Kofi has regressed to where he's not hitting every free throw, which is fine. He's hitting one out of every two. If now. he's if he's 66% or above for a big, you kind of take it and say fine. I think he missed fine. one or two against yeah. Rutgers. Yeah, yeah, he, he, was fine. he shot terribly against um, right. Wisconsin, I right. think, right? Yeah, I, so. If a guard's going to the line I'm nine out of ten times, I think they're going to hit the shot. Right. Iowa especially. I think yeah. seven for eight yesterday, right? Yep. And you can count on them. And what I love about this team, there's a few kind of narratives that – I'm following going forward. The first one, what's what's two kind of narratives for the team in general? Okay. The first one is just make the stupid tournament. That's one. I think they can check that box off, and they could even check it off as early as early February well, when Maryland, Michigan ball. State. Yeah, you yeah, are ahead of the eight as, ball. As Isaac mentioned, for the first time in forever, it feels like instead of saying, you know, okay, Miami, Michigan was a wash. And then I don't know Missouri Purdue was a wash, but now you're like two games. You're, you're plus two. You always feel like. you always feel like you're right on or right behind. So it's yeah. nice to know if we go, if we lose at Purdue, it really changes nothing. Right. So like, say you beat Northwestern, which yeah. I don't think is a dangerous assumption to make. Five and two. In How conference. many wins are you hunting for? Eleven, to be fair. If you get to eleven, you're in. Right. I think. Yeah. So you're looking for six more. You got Nebraska twice, Northwestern once more. That's three more right there. That and means, then home means, games against that means you need Minnesota. to find two more wins in there. I mean, it's not hard. But I'm looking at this and thinking, okay, if there's a path to check off box number one, which is make the stupid tournament, they can do it as early as the Michigan State game on February 11th, and that would include beating Northwestern, which we would expect, right? I think splitting road games against Purdue and Michigan yeah. would put them Huge. so far ahead of the eight ball oh, yeah. that we are in fantastic shape, ending the month with Minnesota at home. But let's even say they lose both of those road games. Okay. Okay, and that would get them at five and two, five and four, six and four in conference entering February. With this stretch though. A five game stretch and this is going to tell the tale. At Iowa, Maryland at home, Michigan State at home, and then at Rutgers at Penn State. But I really do think you can find your way into the tournament by February 11th. You can punch your ticket then, and after that, you're really just padding the win total right. and trying to get upwards of 21 Because if you have a good start, what's that, like nine, nine wins with, with some Nebraskas and Northwesterns yeah. left? Yeah. So, yeah, basically. But 11-9 and nine gets you to, what would that be? We're 9-3 and three in the non-conference? Yep. So 11-9 so and nine gets you to 20-12 20 and 12 yeah. like yep. in this Big Ten, and a lot which of, will probably send eight to, the, eight to the tournament. A lot of quality wins in there, too. Um. I think if Livers doesn't play, if he's if Isaiah Livers is still out for Michigan, I say, I say that's a win. I think we have the better roster. But at Mackey on January twenty first, I think I'm not expecting we anything. We can chalk no. that up. <laughs> I mean, it feels would, like it's been a while since they've won there, though, in terms of monkeys oh, off gosh. your back. I mean, the last time you won at Mackey, I think, was two thousand nine. I, and it was like January, it was maybe December 30th, 2008. It was the very beginning of the 08-09 team's Big Ten run hmm. where they finished second in conference. And they won unexpectedly. I don't remember that, but okay. Yeah, it was overtime. And that would have been a Purdue team that had Juwan Johnson, Robbie Hummel, Lewis yeah. Jackson, Etwan Moore. Etwan and Moore. you took him OT and you won. Because I can't think of a... I mean, there was the game where you needed to win, right? And you get up huge. Ravante Rice has that the value. Amazing dunk. Uh, it was like at that point, it was like twenty-eight to ten, and you end up losing that game. Of course, there was the game when the Craft Fight Hunger Bowl was on at the same time, and you got absolutely <laughs> murdered. At right, I, mean, I can't think of a good experience at Mackey in a long. I can't either. Not so, that that's quite as like a fireable offense type thing as losing six in a row to Penn State. It's not as agonizing to think you haven't won in Mackey in a while because pretty guess annoying. What? Nobody though. wins in Mackey for a long time, but it is annoying. It is annoying too because they had a couple years where they were off. 
Yeah. Purdue had this weird transition between the Etwan Moore, Robbie Hummel era, and this sort of last six-year stretch Which where it seems like he's... Fine. I mean, Carson Edwards is yeah, kind of the Yeah, Carson Edwards, and stretch, I forget right? who before him. Isaac but... Haas. Uh, uh, who was the big guy before him? Before Haas? Uh AJ, AJ Hammond. AJ Hammond. Oh, that's right. And yeah. Caleb Swanigan, too. Yep, 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 yep. Oh, my Twin God. Towers, yeah. yeah. So Purdue is just sort of comfortably, <laughs> right? like, what, fifth best team in the Big Ten kind of regularly, right? Yeah. Wisconsin's fourth and fifth. You can kind of count on those guys being upper half. So Mackey Arena is sort of like the new Cole Center, except for the fact that it might have been a longer time anyway since you've last wow. won Mackey. Has it really been that long? I, d- I can't think I'm of trying one. to find it right now. I don't I don't know the easiest way to what look at that What was most frustrating were those losses, though, to the DJ Bird teams. Oh, of course. Right, where right. I, th- I think you played them early, a few straight years early in the gross era, and so, so you know he always had good starts. So you'd be like 12-3 and three going into a matchup with Purdue, at Purdue, and you'd lose by 10. And then Gross would say, you got to get up off the mat and get on the train or whatever. <laughs> get on the Ten ladder. Ten toes in. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I can't think Goodness of one. gracious. <laughs> For me, though, the first box is making the stupid tournament. That's narrative number one. I think they can do that. But then the second narrative that I would love for this to emerge is what if this team actually is pretty damn good? What if they're really good? <laughs> and, here's, and, and this is where it could change. And this might sound ludicrous. It's like, well, come on, Carp. You, just after the Michigan State game, you weren't feeling good. Well, first off, who was? Yeah, And it's amazing the difference that we can make. But at the same time, a lot of the disappointment we had in the Michigan State game or the Missouri game or the Miami game and the way they performed in those is that you look at the individual pieces on this team and think, man, if everything went well, and I know we've done that exercise as Illinois fans, but truly you look at this roster and think if everything goes right, I don't know what the ceiling is. So for me, that second box, the narrative, can it change to can this team be really good? And for me, that will be told First off, hold serve against Northwestern. I mean, that goes without saying. But the week after that, at Purdue, at Michigan, if you split that, then I think we start getting into a territory of, well, this could be a top four Big Ten team. Just solely based yeah. on the fact that they get two road wins, probably before anybody else in conference. Well, well one thing Illinois has to over... Well, Wisconsin, one, of course. One thing Illinois has over a lot of Big Ten teams is Illinois, looking at the roster, we have the talent 100% to be a top four or five team in the Big Ten. It's just whether you can put that together. So I really don't think about like a team like Wisconsin, you can't say that. You can't look at their roster and say they have the 100% talent to be a top four or five team in the Big Ten. Yeah, you I would agree with that. You can't teach talent. So no matter how good Wisconsin plays, they're, they're going to be limited. So Illinois, that's why it's so fun, is I think they're one of the most talented teams in the Big Ten. So if they can really get it together, get clicking night in and night out, they have the opportunity to finish one of the top seeds in the conference. Oh, there's going to be a lot of teams with a lot of losses in the Big Ten. I mean, whoever finishes first, if it's Michigan State, I still think they'll accrue, I don't know, I don't, maybe five or six is too many, but there's going to be some losses there. For Michigan State, I think they're probably going to finish like 14 and well, – no, enough. I would say 14 and 6, 13 and 7. Yeah. Something ultimately like right. for them, and that's going to be mean, enough to win the If you the look Big at Ten. the double buys, because that's the top four seeds for the Big Ten tournament, why can't Illinois be one of those teams? Yeah. Just in terms of just pure how what a leg up they have right now on on in terms of just number of losses. Can you imagine if you get the double buy? <laughs> I just need to see it. tournament. It's so awesome to think about, but I still feel like we need to see it through the end. Of, I want to see consistent consistency through the end of January. I would agree with that. I think it's it's hard not to get excited because in as you guys mentioned, we are so used to playing behind the eight ball or right on that line where you really have to have a strong February. I'd love to get in a situation where it early February, you have those two home games against Maryland and Michigan State within five days of each other, that that place is State Farm Center, which yesterday had, I think, the biggest crowd of the season for an 11 a.m. start. Not a downpour, but it was a nasty day outside. People still decided, I want to go see this team when Rutgers is in town. 
And this is just a week after losing at Michigan State in the way that you did. Yeah. They were there for Purdue. They were there for Rutgers. I guarantee you, if you can find yourself 7-4 and four in conference entering that Maryland-Michigan State game, that place is going to be a madhouse. I think the the Maryland game, especially since it's a Friday night, I believe, could really be crazy. It's, it's a Friday night, 7 o'clock tip. Nobody's got class the next day. You know, <laughs> People are sick of work. They're already sick of the new year, probably. They're like, all right, finally my basketball team is quality and worth watching. And that game... I don't know if it's announced. Could be on ESPN. It's I FS1, mean, especially if Illinois. Gus Johnson. Okay, maybe, maybe it could be you a get big game. Two top twenty teams. If Illinois yeah. can continue winning, and Maryland will prop. I mean, we'll still be top. I don't 20, know how I how much weight this holds, but I think CBS Sports came out their top twenty five, and Illinois was twenty five. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. They're playing like a top twenty five caliber team because yeah. you beat Purdue, you beat Wisconsin, you beat Rutgers, and all of them are kind of top twenty five caliber teams based on the resume. So that's yeah. three straight quality wins, and that is. Something that I, I think I felt the week was going to go lose at Wisconsin inevitably and win ugly against Rutgers. Well, when you win ugly against Rutgers following a win at Wisconsin, it feels a hell of a lot better yeah, right. than if you would have entered that game. You know, what would that have been? If you lose at Wisconsin two and two, you're three and two, or would you have been two and three after a loss at Wisconsin? Two and three. Yeah, right. You'd be a game below 500 after eking out an ugly win over Rutgers. By the way, it was 08 09 last time you won at That the was game. it. 71 67 in overtime. <sighs> I remember I went a few years ago and we were up like twenty six to eight in the first half, and then I think Purdue went on a huge run. Yeah, we went. We went was this half. the Ray Rice year? The Ray Ray Rice had that sweet yeah, yeah, alley oop yeah, yeah. dunk, one handed catch, and I was feeling great. And you I needed have to, do to win that game yeah. to make the tournament. You yeah. would have been in. Yeah. Those is that one of the three games <laughs> you were talking about in terms well, of grossest? And miss? honestly, you know, one would be the Abrams floater, right? Because if you beat Michigan in the Big Ten tournament, if we are going with end of year opportunities where if they just flip three games then you would go Michigan and Gross's second year in the yep. Big Ten tournament you'd go Rutgers in the last year that Rutgers obviously. obviously and then in the third year which was the best roster he had I feel like despite not really having a great point guard I get that yeah but, but he had the best collection of talent for my sure god and then you even have the run in February where you, you win at Michigan State. Then you, you come here and you win against Michigan where you had that, what, like 10 nothing run? Win to, to overtime, yeah. right? Yeah. Insane <laughs> game. And, and at that point, you're like, there's no way this team isn't making the tournament. And somehow, I mean, it just got exhausting. We all we all know what it felt like, of course. But that Purdue game, you're right. Was it 28-10? I, it was something like that. It was, I know we were up like 16 or 18, and then they went on a run. And What and, year was that? That would have been 2015. Yeah. I was a junior, yeah. Eight short months after that, you were losing by... 15 to North Florida at the Springfield Prairie <laughs> ah, Capital Convention yes, Center. That's right. Uh, okay, let's see here. Oh, that was the football game. Hey, we won 48 to 14 over Purdue in 2015. And the Cuban year. Keyshawn Vaughn ran all over him. It's of course he did. Google assumes that you're talking football. Just an interesting. That's the default. I wonder if you were to do a straw poll, like nationwide, how many more people would call college football their primary sport over college basketball? I don't know. How much larger of a pie I think would that be? Down south, it's probably 1,000%. Oh, for sure. SEC basketball is an afterthought. Up here and in like Indiana and Kentucky and stuff like that, I'd say it's probably more even. Even like a study of like if I went up to someone in each state and said, you remember that game where, I don't know, Missouri took on Arkansas? 
Well, of course, they're going to assume down there that it was a football game I'm talking right, about, yeah. right? But if I went to Minnesota and said, remember that game when Minnesota beat Michigan State? Well, maybe not now because of P.J. Fleck, but they might assume it was basketball. Yeah, who was the guy on Ole Miss? I'm thinking SEC basketball now. The guy on Ole Miss that... The troublemaker? Yeah, the troublemaker. Uh, Marshall Anderson? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they made the tournament, right? Yeah, I mean, he, he was... Made the tournament. He, I mean, some crazy whoa, shots. He, yeah, he was really good, but he had, like, legit problems. Yeah, like, he did, and was he all tatted up and stuff, too? Yeah. Like, he just looked the part Baggy of Baggy shorts and everything, yeah. So you were looking up right now the game. I was just story curious maybe how big see. you were up at Purdue. I thought I know for a fact it was. Tw- I think twenty. Okay, twenty six to eight just rings in my head at one point, and then I think you went into half like twenty eight, twenty two. It so was you let it up. was far too close, and you're thinking, yes. oh, I started puckering up as you a lost by three, sixty three, sixty. Purdue, Illinois. It's hard to find the whole game log. This is a big remember win episode. I know. Now. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Let's Sorry see how far down that rabbit hole. I'm just thinking, though, what is nice, though, is to, I just had this thought today. I think CBS had the Michigan State-Purdue game on. They did. Yeah, right. today. That, that was what it was. I was getting lunch ready, and then I heard the da 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 And that's, that song is just, ah, uh, conjures up all these warm and fuzzy feelings. But in the last five years, the song's been an afterthought. And I'm like, oh, my <laughs> yeah. God, if I can only listen to that from the comforts of Legends or Esquire or someplace on a Thursday or Friday afternoon I thought- as you're tipping off against... Doesn't even matter. I thought it even matter. I thought about how beautiful it would be to just hear Jim Nance, you know, saying I would assume or like Well if it were some, the eight nine game it would be because yeah, he gets the, the he best the one, one seed. seed yeah. right. <laughs> okay. Uh you were up twenty eight thirteen in okay. the game. That was the biggest was lead they had. Off, and that dunk was maybe punctuated. I it. think that was when they called a timeout yeah. to make it twenty eight thirteen where uh, it was like, whoa. And then one of the best dunks in Illinois history. That was, Honestly, yeah. that was a crazy athletic feat. And remember, that was I think when he still had the wrap on his hand because he'd broken yeah. a bone in one of his wrists or in something. In his left hand, I think his shooting hand was his okay. Hand. Yeah, but he came out in the Michigan game and he did not score, I don't think. No. Until but he played overtime. great d- until he overtime. Tw- yeah. yeah. But he had like eight rebounds, and it was just uh-huh. oh, Ray Rice is back. And I remember though that there was this weird thing that followed Ray the year before that and that season, where people assumed somehow that it was going to be addition by subtraction when Ray Rice left, like he was a black hole on offense. <laughs> when the statistics bore out that he didn't turn the ball over, he actually got like five assists a game. It's because that one game when he was out against Maryland. They won. That's against, right. Against like number yep. ten Maryland and people. See, we don't need Ray Rice. It's like give me a break. That guy's <laughs> one of the him and Maverick. Maverick Morgan. Well, Maverick Morgan he was, was okay. Really he freaking good as senior. He, he was. Was that the four, 15, 16 year though? Yeah. The bad year and Maverick yeah, was good. Yeah, yeah. And then Underwood comes in. Could have used Maverick Morgan. Not that that probably could have tournament. Yeah. But I'm thinking. Yeah, and this is why John Gross is. <laughs> when you lose to Missouri and Michigan State the way you did, I couldn't help but go down that very you know treacherous path of trying to not rationalize John Gross as a better coach than Underwood. I was not trying to do that. But thinking about how few games it actually would have taken you to make four out of five tournaments. But then as I'm starting to go back again and remembering the talent he had, you know, Malcolm Hill is a top 10 Illini basketball player, maybe of all time. Yeah. Dana Egwu leads all time in blocks and not rebounds, but I mean, he's up there. And then you got Ray Rice, which two years, you know, was he Kenny Battle? No, he wasn't. But statistically speaking, that guy produced every game. I mean, he didn't do much at Drake. And then he comes here and yeah. he's suddenly one of the better players in the Big Ten. And Kendrick Nunn, I mean, is playing in the NBA yeah, now. Right. I yeah. know. One of the more athletic guys you've had. Yeah. So if you tell me, and that's why the 14-15 season was maddening, because the starting lineup, and this is where it got tricky, because point guard, I don't know, who they, maybe Amon Stark started. Did he start yeah. for that team? Yeah. I mean, he and Jalen Tate. I mean, 
those two combined were probably a serviceable point guard. Enough to get by. Yeah. Because he got Nana still as a senior, and he got Malcolm and Kendrick and Ray Rice. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all you need. And yeah, they couldn't do it. Lineup. Aaron Cosby and his corkscrew shot, <laughs> lest we forget. You had Maverick Morgan off the bench. Yep. Couldn't have been that bad because the next year he was really good. Yep. Was Leron Black on that? Yeah. Oh, I forgot about Leron Black. Leron Black, who had an amazing season with that. Underwood the first year. Yeah. Michael Fink, he was on that team. Yeah. Doing it. You I had there was enough. enough talent in the that talent team. The talent was to, there. Yeah. Oh, gross. How is Akron doing this year? We used to do Akron well, The funny updates. part is the, the projections sometimes show Akron being, I think, a 12 seed or something what? like that. Because the, they would cause, win, cause the... They'd win the MAC. Oh, okay. um, And then when the Illini Stats and Notes account tweeted out that Illinois is one of, I think it was three teams to shoot less than 25% and, hold, and score under 60 and still win the game, one of the other two was John Gross and Akron. <laughs> They are thirteen and three, three and zero in conference. Let's wow. see what the most quality win is. I mean, against Louisville at Louisville, they lost eighty-two to seventy-six. Wow, <laughs> Louisville's one of the top teams in the country. At West Virginia earlier this year, they lost ninety-four to eighty-four. Wait, wait, wait a minute. John Gross played West Virginia again and didn't lose by fifty. Yeah, he only lost by ten. Yeah, redemption at West Virginia. <laughs> redemption <laughs> for that Thanksgiving Day debacle yeah. back in twenty. Well, when he said that he said they'd been practicing the entire offseason for the press. And they lost, I think it was like 82 to 50. So you're telling me they went in to West Virginia and lost by 10? By 10, yeah. I was fortunate enough that game against West Virginia, that would have been 2016, was up with Kara and her family in northern Michigan. Thanksgiving Eve. And they didn't have cable to get that game. And I tried streaming in the radio a little bit, but the cell phone connection was on Thanksgiving Day, wasn't it? Thanksgiving Day. At like 11 a.m. start, early start. And I thought, well, I'll listen to it on my phone. And I think at the end of the second media timeout, it was already 15 to two. <laughs> and I said, you know what? I'm just going to put that over there and we'll let, and the next day we go shopping in, I think Petoskey is, it's like a touristy town. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Petoskey. And Michigan. they play Florida state. And at the end of that again. game and they didn't get smoked, but they lost by like eight or nine. Mm-hmm. And then DJ Williams, mom goes on Twitter and she's all pissed off about something. And I'm like, Oh my God, now we got, parents tweeting because their kids aren't getting playing <laughs> so it's time not much different kind of than the drama that's going on recently with Illini athletics no well which well which which are you referring to i guess because there are a few old i'm just saying perhaps. going back to football season a little bit i know there was a couple from parents parents oh yeah, yeah there i mean it happens a lot which yeah. parents well i know kaylin tolson's dad yeah. after he started at michigan state and had a bad first half was saying you know don't talk to my son that way or something there was another player about who's... Lovey. No, 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 no. He, he was the saying fans. the fans were tweeting yeah. that Kalen Tolson is trash because he was the backup guy behind Hanson, and he actually had a good second half. Up he there. did, yeah. No, I mean he's. I mean he, he looked rocky trash. early on. It, I mean compared to some of the other stuff we've endured on social media, I don't think <laughs> I don't think the parents thing really stands out, but. <laughs> It seems like I mean, there's something you can do about that, right? Like you just have to shrug. Like if a parent's coming at you about something, like of course yeah. they're going to defend their child. Of course. <laughs> I mean, it's not like Kalen Tosin's dad's going to man. He's missing assignments. I hate my kid. You know, like I I had an interaction. Well, I mean, I didn't respond to it because they didn't know how to. But Io's mom had actually tweeted something at me because this was when recently it was a year and a half, two oh, years okay. ago. She's so, active on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, and Io had already committed. But I, before Adam Miller, who was the last stud at Mac Irvin Fire? There was someone between Iowa and Adam Miller, and he went elsewhere. Taylor Holt, Taylor, or Horton Tucker. Well, this is after Taylor Horton Tucker, though, because that whole saga, that was another mess. Well, D- DJ Stewart wasn't at Mac No, Urban. and I forget. Maybe it was a Morgan Park kid, but regardless, there was some kid that 
it felt like the IO thing, unspoken, it was going to be, now you got the pipeline. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're losing games, then the recruiting's not picking up. And I made some comment that was alluding to the fact, like, you know, it would have been nice if this, if there were such, if a pipeline actually existed yeah. between us and Mac Urban Fire. And she picked up on that and said, well, that's not how it works. And I was like, I, I don't know how to respond to Iowa's <laughs> mom. She might be right. I'm just making kind of a random observation here. But uh, And I wouldn't know how to proceed with the parent interaction anyway. Right. I mean, you're backing yourself into a corner there. Because like I said, the parent's never going to say anything bad. And I don't blame them. Well, and I'm worried, too, that sometime as a teacher, I'm going to get like a football coach's <laughs> kid. And I was like, if Rod Smith had a sixth grader after the things that I <laughs> said about Rod Smith and his tweeting back in October, is that's he going to be upset that... Huh. Fanboy Carp is his daughter's writing teacher. I don't think I that's going to happen, that. but I, I wonder. It's a small enough community yeah. where if it just so happens that we get a coordinator or something. And he has they, to come in for te- parent-teacher conferences. <laughs> yeah, like, and I, I was thinking, oh, please, because I even remember there was I have a few Smiths. Okay. And, <laughs> and I don't know if Rod Smith, I think when they opened the new facility, there were pictures of all the staffs and their families, and I'm like, Oh man, like Rod Smith has a family. And at that moment, it occurred to me like, well, they all have families. And inevitably, at some point, I'm probably going to get a coach's kid. Yeah. Yeah. So I try to avoid making it personal, but there are certain things like when Rod Smith went on his tweeting rampage that just pissed me off. So it's like, well, I'm going to talk about it because that's. Was it the guy who went to DePaul? I'm thinking that. Jalen Coleman Lance? Uh, no. no. There was some guy that went to DePaul. Over oh, Illinois, Terrence Shannon, Shannon. You, maybe because he went, he went, he was but Mac was Urban he Mac Fire. Fire, but he went to Texas Tech now, right? Right, yeah. But at one point, it he was, was Illinois or DePaul, yeah. and he committed to DePaul. Heck, so maybe that which was is your... the big recruiting loss. <laughs> I, don't I don't know how you okay, could I be found your tweet. to DePaul. It oh, says, wow. uh, "I may be new to this AAU thing, but it would be nice considering we effectively told THT to buzz off if the Mac Irvin Fire pipeline was, you know, actually a pipeline." Should I stand by that tweet? I stand by it. Two hundred yeah. likes, and then. Uh, she responded to that. Playing for the Mac Irvin Fire does not guarantee you a scholarship offer from Illinois. So why are Mac Irvin Fire players obligated to commit because an offer was extended? Not going to get every kid we recruit. Every player is not a U of I kid. Players go where they feel. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. <clears throat> and it was the DePaul thing because someone else tweeted losing a recruit to DePaul is always going to sting. No way to sugarcoat it. Hmm, I wonder who that would have been. I don't think it was Terrence it Shannon. Wasn't. It would have been before that wouldn't Terrence. Have it would have been before, yeah. Because Terrence Shannon was such a weird recruitment anyways yeah, that yeah. it was like, do we really want the right. baggage, whatever baggage seems Someone to Someone replied to that, kid. oh man, Carp just got blasted to the moon. <laughs> oh, and how. <laughs> Didn't sleep mom. that night. You know what's funny? There was this guy named Kevin on Twitter who, <laughs> he did this after the Wisconsin game when I actually... I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> I know who you're talking about. <laughs> when I actually dared to enjoy the victory... Despite having been critical of this team earlier. How could you? And the same thing after the Rutgers game. Well, hey, there's still space on the bandwagon. Or what was it? I, I even forget. Was it the, the thing saying you were calling for Brad's job? Or they said I called for Brad Underwood's job. Yeah. And I, I, and Trevor, you could correct me on this because maybe I did at one point. I don't think I've ever went as far. Because for one, logistically, I don't think it would have made a lot of sense to fire a coach after year three. I think early on we said it'd have to be a disastrous year. Yeah. Total uh, I think disaster. The one thing we theorized was what if he up and leaves? Was That's I right. Think something yeah. you and Harry and I discussed like a month ago, but I don't think you ever said. I don't think so. And I'm even thinking like I know I've had conversations while watching the game. There's certain things that I might say off the air in a joking manner, like after the Maryland game. I remember I was at Huber's with my dad. And I'm like, you know, this thing may not work. Just the whole Illinois Brad Underwood thing just may not work. Yeah, you have said that, but that doesn't mean fire Brad Underwood. Yeah, I've never said fire Brad Underwood, and I'm trying to make sure that it's not just by semantics sure. that I didn't say that. 
And it's like, dude, you know, you can call me out on it, but at least get it right. And then, but this is the larger point that we can get to is after success, we all feel good. After the Michigan State game, there was the um, interaction with Dave Wisniewski on Twitter that day in the morning after. Well, don't forget after the Wisconsin game when I tweeted a photo of my 80-year-old uncle who was happy and almost in tears after the Wisconsin when he tweeted something back at me like, well, it should, sure would be nice if he didn't have a, a nephew who was so, I forget what he used. So, you know, Didn't he call you an ass? Something, something? like that, yeah. Hmm. Which is always a nice munch? comment to no, receive. You know? Has anyone ever did? <laughs> an ass munch? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a cereal, like a... <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like an SNL skit commercial, <laughs> yeah. right? It does, yeah. Ass munch. Colon blow. That's one of my favorite SNL <laughs> ads. <laughs> okay, so, uh, or oops, I crapped my pants. Sure. Uh, but back to the I told you so crowd. And it, it just struck me last night. It's like, okay, well, this is where I think things are getting lost in translation. Because on one hand, how could we have anybody watching this team after not just Michigan, or sorry, Michigan State, Missouri, Miami, but more than that, there have been wins this year that have been not as fulfilling or satisfying State, as maybe, Grand Canyon. Sure. I mean, right? how could you even watch? Like, obviously, we're feeling great. How could you watch the Rutgers game and feel great about Brad's offense? For the first two thirds of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How could you feel like, super optimistic that we're going to be able to score points going forward? And they did. And I feel good about it. Yeah. And I'm like, well, this team, this may just be how they won games. And in this Big Ten, that may be enough. I sure, don't know. Right. And that's kind of what I'm going with now with this optimism that I'm feeling, as most of us are when you're four and two. But I'm thinking, what what is this whole thing that's emerging like? How dare you criticize? And, and David tweeted something out today about, to the effect that Underwood was asked a question about rebuilding programs yesterday. About Rutgers, about Rutgers specifically. About Rutgers yeah. specifically and how people don't, essentially don't recognize how difficult it is to do something like that and there isn't enough patience. And I get that. And I've even questioned myself and try to be self-aware enough to know, am I going overboard? And I know I have at times. I know I have. Am I being too impatient? But I think the other context we need to include with that is well over a decade's worth of futility. Right. So there is that impatience that's going to be built in. Sure. But even this year, I'm trying to think, man, did I watch any of these games when Illinois didn't look so good and lump in the previous 10 years with it? Or was I just analyzing what was in front of me? And I think it's the latter. Yeah. I think I'm just analyzing what's in front of me, but maybe I'm not. I don't know. For me personally, I feel like when I get upset about Illinois, I'd be like, oh, we always do that. It's, it's not Lovey and Brad's fault that I've been watching Illinois, you know, since before they were there. And I just know that this is what it kind of feels like to be an Illinois fan. We always seem to blow big games and like do all these things. So it's not their fault, but it is their fault if they don't change the narrative and they don't win games and, you know, do the things that they're talking about doing. And basketball to a larger extent, we can talk about rebuilds and Rutgers. They have one path that they, they need to go to figure out, not even a rebuild, but just build. Mm -hmm. Right? They need to build something to even have a rebuild later on. Yeah. And you look at Illinois, though, there's enough context and history here that it really shouldn't take all that much. And Underwood has done a good job on the recruiting trail. Right. So we, we got the guys. And that's why this year has been frustrating in spurts, because I, I was just looking at what was in front of me and thinking, like, I don't know if this is good enough for what you have when we have been told. This is what it couples with, too. When we have been told by proxy, whether it's from media types or whether it be directly from the DIA and their social media accounts, that this was the year. The players themselves were saying that before the year. I think Georgia guaranteed essentially an NCAA tournament bid. Mm -hmm. And I don't mind them wearing a target on their back. But then when you have performances like Arizona or Grand Canyon, like back to that, there have been wins that have not felt good. No. So it just seems weird to me this idea that if you're critical, therefore you are 
uh, not able to enjoy it, or you should not be able to enjoy it. And I think well, that's... I, I'd almost take it a step further and say if you're on the other side of that, it's almost dangerously negligent and lazy to just sit back and say nothing needs to be fixed because you got to have patience. You know what I mean? Like, say some light starts flashing in your car, and you go, eh, well, you know, have patience with it. It might fix itself. And then two weeks later, another light's flashing. Eh, whatever. And then a week later, your car breaks down. Like, like it's almost, <laughs> I, I don't know. Ignoring I, it, potential warning signs by just simply saying patience is almost lazier than being overly critical and having to walk it back. You know what I mean? Yeah, I could see that. Um, and I was thinking, too, how, you know, with this, if we make the tournament, and I think I've said from the outset that all, all that it comes down to, they make the stupid tournament this year, I'm happy. And then you get Andre Corbello and Adam Miller in. And here's the thing about Io, the level he's playing at, he's going pro. Yeah. I don't know if he's going to be a lottery pick. He's going pro. And he'll be fine. And that's fine. He'll make a career in the yeah. NBA. And then you move on and you bring in what is going to be a top 10 class, potentially, just based on Miller I mean, and Corbello alone. in the Big 10 right now. Yeah. And then you also have uh, Hawkins, Hawkins, right? Which so I think he's like guys. top 150 or yeah, something he's, like I that. Yeah, I mean. Again, I'm just not trying to feed into the hype too much, but like he'll post his mixtape videos or whatever on yeah. Twitter and his highlight. He looks pretty good. He's got the body, which yeah. he can definitely develop. And then you look at the transfers. If one of those transfers hits next year, right. then okay, you, you, you got something. And I really do think that that collection of talent next year with Corbello at point, that being the key, yeah. with Corbello at point, that they could be better than this year's team. And this year's team, the thing that's different too, potentially next year, is this year's team, they they had the talent, but they hadn't proven it yet. So we all were like, okay, there's talent there. But say we do make a tournament or, worst case scenario, just miss. We'll see, okay, the talent's already been there and it's already been proven, so we're just stacking more talent on top of it. It feels like he is establishing that. Yes. So this, this is why the early misses this year on the court were a little bit surprising because it was total, and this is what's kind of weird, the Underwood era is kind of counterintuitive to what we imagined it would have been. Where the recruiting, fine, yeah. on the court, taking a bit. Uh, on the court style, uh, fast and furious didn't work. That was his identity. Yep. Now we're kind of slugging it out. Now that's kind of working. So it's sort of the expectations that we would have had going into the Underwood era and this idea of almost like 40 minutes of hell, Arkansas, Nolan Richardson style. <laughs> that isn't coming to fruition, but whatever it is, is working. And as you said, Isaac, if he keeps building classes on top of each other, it does feel like there is something about just breaking through that once, making the tournament this year and getting that monkey off your back. It, it seems like these teams like the Purdue's and the Wisconsin's of the world, it's just a habit. And once you get into that habit, then you don't need to worry. I, I, I just wonder well, it's what... it's ingrained in them to be patient. Exactly. Right? But it's not ingrained in me to be patient because, like you just said, we've seen a decade of, of dismal, bad basketball, right? So, like, after Purdue loses to Illinois and they have their worst shooting performance ever, I really don't think they pucker up that much. They go to Michigan and lose in double overtime, and they come home and they blow out the best team in the conference because they're used to not panicking. And they make the tournament year in, year out. And if you're a Purdue fan, you're disappointed with those losses, but it doesn't feel as heavy because you're like, well, they'll figure out a way. Yeah, and right. it will. Because they always do. Right. It'll be interesting to see because Brad, obviously, we got Kofi on campus, and he's not typically a Brad Underwood-style player, but it's working now. We've adjusted some things. But then next year, you're bringing in a Curbelo who seems to be like a real Underwood guy. You're bringing in Adam Miller who can shoot from everywhere. I cannot wait. And score from everywhere. Miller. So then it's just going to be interesting to see how they adapt to that because it's kind of like Curbelo and Miller are more Underwood old fashioned type guys, you know, that he used to use. <laughs> so now you've kind of developed this grinded out Kofi style team. 
So it'll be interesting to see how it yeah, adjusts. Most most all of this style is dictated by Kofi. I right. honestly do think that. It is. So for some reason he left. I, I don't think he's going to. But if for some reason I he left, not. then almost next year you would return <laughs> to the, the, the other form, right? <laughs> yeah, which I could see. And I could see Georgie kind of reverting back to his freshman year self. Uh, before which we end, be fine because I don't like what I see from him. Exactly. But. So let's start with that. Bad news, then good news. The bad news is going to be Georgie. The good news is going to be Io. Uh, but with Georgie, what I said in the opening segment was it, it would be one thing if he took a step back, which sophomore slump is a cliche for a reason. You get tape on the guys and you figure out what their strengths are. You have a whole offseason to analyze. Well, how do we stop that guy that was Illinois' second best player last year? And it seems like teams have done that, but you couple that with asking him to essentially play a different style of basketball. I understand how that all messes with the player, Mm -hmm. but he is making choices on the court. Undisciplined, sloppy mistakes, and the jogging down the court after totally blowing, not cutting to the rim when Iowa thought he was going to cut to the rim, and then he gets pulled from Underwood. To me, that is something else entirely. Right. That's someone like whose head is not there. Taking a really bad three, airballing it, and then walking down the court and faking like the Jordan step back three move. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what I'm wondering. What is like the coaching staff telling him? <laughs> what is what is Brad telling him after he misses an airball? Because he seems to have the guts to shoot it again, which and, is fine. I mean, except if you were what like one for thirteen right, right. on the and, season. I mean, he shot thir- he, he went three for thirteen yesterday. He sh- he shot more than Io, which should never happen. He shot more than <laughs> Kofi, which probably shouldn't happen. More than Trent. I mean, he shot the most on the team, and it's just. What are the coaches telling him after he's missed 10 shots? Like, and, and moreover, they put him back in for the last two minutes. Right. And I know he got a big offensive rebound. And that's great. And it let you, I think, ultimately got fouled and made a couple mm-hmm. free throws after that. But, you know, let's be honest. Alan Griffin goes out there. He gets eight rebounds and 20 minutes of play. He he might have gotten the rebound, too. So I'm just saying, even though Georgie was there at the right place, right time, got the board, elongated it. This idea that he needs to be part of the closing five you can go back to Maryland. That hurt you. But now you're playing Kofi, too. No, you're right. Okay? And then in Wisconsin, yeah, I know that Georgie did a good job defending, but that was only after he missed a free throw. So you have this inbounds play, the most crucial inbounds play of the year at Wisconsin. You need your best free throw shooting guys out there. And I've never really seen Alan Griffin at the line, but you know what? I might take my chances with him the way Georgie's shooting at the line. It just seemed... I think we're starting to reach the point where we should question whether or not 30 to 35 minutes a night for Georgie just gratuitously because he was good last year is still working. Yeah, it's, right? and right now it's not, and that's not to say it can't change, but unfortunately, outside of the Michigan game, what good games yeah. has he had this yeah. year? It seems like Georgie's kind of put put it on himself like he needs to be this guy when really, with the, with the talent we have on this team, we just need Georgie to maybe go in and score six or eight points on that little hook shot he takes. We don't need him to force right. up a three or do he something is he's his not best comfortable self doing. When he's doing those yeah, so shots, if yeah. we just had Georgie playing, you know, a solid amount of minutes <laughs> and then making those buckets when we need it, when Kofi needs a rest or when, you know, the offense isn't clicking, then that's okay. But I feel like right now he sees himself as a guy that can go out and score 35. Georgie went from 12.5 points to 8.3, and that in and of itself isn't a problem. But when the field goal percentage With goes from, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, from 54% down to 47% for a big. For a guard, that's fine. Right, you'll, you'll take right. it. But for a big, that's just not good. He is shooting somehow 30% from three. Yeah, I mean... He, but he started 60, off He started yeah. off really hot from three. 60% from the line. Here's the thing. His assist went up, which is not surprising given his new role. Sure. His turnovers are the same as last year. That is surprising because I feel like he's turned it over a lot. His personal fouls are down. That's hmm. also surprising. Well, there's also Kofi to draw some of yeah. those as well. I but, feel like he's still a good player. Yeah. Like, I don't think we're looking at this and going... 
Last year was the fluke, and Georgie is not a good basketball player. But all we need for him right now is to be the middle, right? The happy middle between right. last seems, year and where he's been player, which it seems like trend has adapted to being the happy middle from his freshman year to, to last year, and now he's found a happy medium. Io has adapted to not, maybe not taking forty shots a game. Like it seems like everyone is pretty much now, and it's easier to say that because they're winning, settled into a role except for Georgie, yes. I would say. I, I would who agree. still feels like he's out of place and trying to do too much. One thing, this is more about Kofi, but I don't know if you guys noticed this yesterday. Kofi's starting to get a better feel for the court and where he is. There was a couple he made times. Some great passes. There was a couple yeah. times he chucked it across the court to, I don't know if it was Felice or Trent, but he didn't just look down and didn't just say, okay, I'm going to take this shot, you know, and I'm going to chuck up something bad, even if it's not there. He had his head up and he looked and made a good pass for a three. I don't think the three went in, but it I think was it was still, IO in the corner. Yeah, it was a, it was a kick he out. The three, right, which yeah. is what you want him to do. Okay, we're going to pass it <laughs> into you. And if it's there, it's there. If it's not, find the open guy, which he did. I did notice that too. Yeah, he yeah. made several really good passes. Yesterday. And when you're seven feet tall, you're going to be be able to see over everyone. So I like that cross-court pass because he's going to be able to see most of the court all the time. He recovered nicely because the first couple media timeouts, he was flailing. I mean, everybody was flailing about, but he was also flailing about. And I thought, well, he, he looks like a freshman for the first time since probably... Well, the Michigan State game, yeah. for sure, and that's on the road to Breslin Center, whatever. But even the Missouri game, they did a pretty good job. But I never felt like in the Missouri game it was Kofi looked lost or anything. They were just concentrating just their energy. He was just it. having right. an off day. But no, he recovered nicely. And then now for the good news, because this is an optimistic episode. It's mainly good news. It is. Before we get to Io, Alan Griffin goes one for nine from the field, yeah. and yet I still want more of him. That's, and I don't know if that's just... And the one was an impact shot to yeah, tie the game, right? Exactly. And I don't know if that's just shiny new toy. I, I don't want to fall in be, that... Because I, I think there is still a little bit of unease when he's got the ball in it. Like, I don't yeah. really want to see him take the ball up the court, if that makes sense. I would like, agree with that. There's yeah. still a little bit of a... His he might turn the ball over. Sloppy. His handling is a little sloppy. But I agree with you that I, it's an interesting discussion with the whole should he start, should he not thing, right? Because I think the the 90% consensus is... Well, if he doesn't start, it doesn't matter as long as he gets as many minutes as a starter would anyways, which I tend to agree with, but then at the same time, if one of your struggles is getting down 12-2 to at the first media timeout, there's something to be said for replacing the DeMonte or Georgie with the Allen, right? And there's also the thing that people are saying, like, when it doesn't matter if you come off the bench, yeah, that that makes a difference when your starting five is solid. Like, in the NBA, random example, but Lou Williams comes off the bench because there's still four or five guys in the starting lineup that better are better than him. Out in terms of Allen talent, is right. better right now, especially than Demonte. Right, like you don't see it's an NBA team putting two of their top five players yeah. in the starting lineup and leaving three for the first media timeout so that they can in- induce some energy into the game. Right. To me, I would be mildly surprised if there was not a change by the Northwestern game. I think you start Allen over Demonte, and I think back to the point of yes, I, he's getting starters minutes. That's fine, and Demonte had his lowest minute. At 13, Total I believe, season? was his lowest. Okay. And right now, he's not giving you anything. You know, he's just not. I mean, and literally nothing. Not not in a bad way. I mean, he's yeah. literally like just a flatline neutral. He did have one rebound. And uh, actually, uh, the way he- I'll give him credit. His one rebound was big because it, I believe it was the start of the second half. He grabs an offensive board, uh-huh, kicks tosses it, it to Io. Io yeah. knocks it down. So his one, and I think he had one assist. His one rebound that was, was pretty assist. big. Yeah. Oh, the so way- yeah, there you go. Just the- <laughs> It was one play. He had a good five seconds. The way you said that was like, now, guys, well, hold on. There, there was the one you rebound. You forget, right. lest you forget, from 1930. <laughs> to 1926 <laughs> in the second half. I'm just thinking, though, that 
you, let's not overcomplicate this. I, I feel like you do put your best five out yeah. there, and you feel pretty good, at least I do, with the first two guys being in, Andres and Kipper. I think that's your first two yeah. off the bench, and you roll with it, and then DeMonte plays a, a bit role on this team because as you go forward and you got plenty of season left, DeMonte is going to continue to get minutes because you just simply cannot let the other guys shoulder the load without DeMonte getting about 12 minutes a game. That's fine, but, man, it, it just is really rough on offense that's already struggling. An offense that's already kind of sputtering out there to have the first four minutes of the game going four on five. And knowing that DeMonte, if he catches the ball, he's just simply there to pass it off to another guy. And the thing about DeMonte is you can only leave him in there with a certain lineup because I think yesterday it was like DeMonte, Kipper, Andres, Kofi. He played the four for a few minutes. Yeah, and if he's not in the game with Trent and Io, <laughs> I mean... Who's scoring on the, like in the lineup? Yeah, was, you, I think you texted. There was a really ugly lineup at one point yeah. yesterday. That was, who's going to score? Yeah. Well, Io is the last one I wanted to talk about. He's a superstar right now. Yes. And that was coming after a six-point performance against Purdue, but you really didn't need anything from him. But I just feel good with the ball in his hands late in the game. He's a closer. As a, as a and finisher, that's, yeah. That's what NBA players do. His shooting percentage has actually went down this year. Well, let me, let me say, uh, no, his field goal percentages went up. His three-point percentages went down to about 30%. That's not good, but the NBA is willing to take a flyer on a guy if there's certain other things going on. And one of them is the fact that he can get to the rim at will, it yes. seems. He's a good free-throw shooter. And he has this knack for – there's no one – I'd have to go back a long time to think of the last player I would feel 100% confident in getting the free throws at the end of the game and saying he's going to make those. And I have no question about it. Right. He just has this sort of, we talk about intangibles, and often we kind of ascribe that to the lesser players and say, well, the stat sheet doesn't show it, but this guy's got the moxie. The white guy. Io has that. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, it's hard to quantify because the stats back up the fact he's a good player. But right now, he's lights out, and I'm really excited to see, sort of like Frank Williams, his sophomore year, if you get Io playing at this level consistently, making the tournament's not going to be the issue. You know, They'll make the tournament. If you got Io playing like that in March, you got a shot that, right. to win a game or How two far in the tournament. Throw Io in that Miami game to go to the Sweet 16 right. type of thing, the right? Th exactly. The thing about, I love about Io, too, is, you know, people talk about like the Mamba mentality and the Kobe Bryant. He just seems to have the it factor that you can't teach and and it he got a piece of humble pie last year i think a few times when he got here and the miami game yeah. i would say also mm -hmm. right yeah and he made the mistake at the end of the game and he mentioned that in his post game i think like after wisconsin yeah which he had a lot of great to say about yeah. that where he was essentially or maybe it was after he learned Rutgers, he learned know. from his mistake yeah. in yep. the wisconsin game and drove and didn't go too deep i think behind the backboard right, right. so yeah he learned from his mistakes and he he i love the players that want to they don't want to be the there's some guys that just don't want to mess up, and he's a guy that just wants to make the play. You know, he's not scared to have the ball and score. Yeah. And, and the fact that he mentioned that Wisconsin post game that whether it's me taking the shot or somebody else, yeah, I want the ball, but I'm going to do whatever it takes to get the best shot. Well, what was the last like 14 Allen. plays or something? I O either assisted, rebounded, or scored on something in the insane game? like that. I mean, he was the man, and he <laughs> is right now, and it's really exciting to see uh, what I hope he he came back. And we thought his legacy is going to be secure if they simply make the tournament. And he's the guy that got Illinois basketball back on solid footing. He's on that path right now. So it's really exciting to watch. And I'm glad for him because, I mean, 
he's definitely endured a lot mentally and just dealing with the fans and all well, this pressure and I gotta on be him. Honest, like there was, you know, early this year when he's struggling. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I really want Adam Miller, so don't screw yeah. this up, Io. <laughs> and then it didn't seem like the tournament was going to happen either. I'm like, oh my God, this thing's a total disaster. And you go back to the beginning where the Taylor Horton Tucker thing doesn't happen, which may have been no fault of his own. We'll never know for sure. And I really doubt I was like, guys, I don't want to play with them. Yeah. I think there are larger forces at play, but I was like, oh God, don't let me become that resent don't let me become resentful towards a nineteen year old because we didn't get Taylor Horton Tucker. We didn't make the tournament and all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, but it, this goes so far beyond that. The way the level at which he's playing right now is the best, certainly since Malcolm Hill's senior year. Yeah. Which I know is not all that far back, but it's what, three coming up four seasons. But really for that position, you would probably have to go back to to me, he's far more like a Frank than he is a D or Darren or Luther. Part of that is that he's not a great shooter. Frank yeah. was not a great shooter either. Uh, but he was, uh, at the end of the games, I wanted Frank to have the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want Iowa to have the ball. Yeah, And then fortunately, you got guys like Trent and Allen. Now they're making their shots when it counts, and that makes it a lot easier for him to do his thing. So it's all, it's all coming together, doesn't it feel it's, like? It's the beautiful. pieces are fitting. Okay, so we need to decide when we're going to do our next podcast. And we talked about, I mean, at post Northwestern, I hope to God we don't have much to talk about after that game. Right, it's just a sleepy fifteen point home victory. So I think what we'll do, because it's an early tip against Purdue, is meet after that game Tuesday, January. So you go Saturday, Tuesday. Saturday, Tuesday, and then that will give us a few days for people to consume the podcast before they play at Michigan that Saturday morning. So you play Tuesday, January twenty first at Purdue. Yeah. So. We'll go with, we'll just probably do like an hour, 15, hour and a half, no opening segment or anything. We'll just launch in. We'll have, I don't know how much Northwestern we're going to talk about, like I said, but that game against Purdue, wouldn't it be nice to come in after that? <laughs> Six and Break two. the streak. <laughs> and as long as it's not a disaster, the thing that I want to get back to are frustrations from, ah, man, we lost to Purdue by four. Yeah. Darn yeah. it. Like the feeling after the Iowa football game. Exactly. You lost by yeah. eight at Iowa. That sucks, but it's okay. Which, as long as it would have been followed up by beating Northwestern at home, it sure. still would have felt good. Well, but, I did think you when know. you said, hey, as long as you make the tournament, no matter what, it doesn't matter. And we it's said, true. as long as you make a full game, no matter what, it doesn't matter. Be careful what you wish for. It is true. We didn't talk about... Uh, like, if you made the tournament as a 10... Or no, it would have to be something higher. Like, as a say, as a six seed and lost to a bad mid-major 11. Let's make a prediction you know right I mean? now. Yeah, I know what you. Yeah, I know what you mean by that. Let's make our predictions right now. As we sit here and we're certainly feeling our oats as Illini fans, but what is our prognostication? If we had to say what seed this team ultimately will be, what are we thinking come Selection Sunday? This Cause it, team's going to find themselves on that yeah, bracket. I think we are playing a little bit like after the Wisconsin and Michigan State wins in football, where you go, "There's a small chance they could win the Big Ten West," <laughs> and then if they do that, there's a small chance that they go to the Rose Bowl. Like I feel like right now, as we're saying, there's a small chance, they, or maybe even a larger chance, they could get a double bye. I think we need to calm down a little bit on that. Agreed. I think water will find its level a tiny, but not to say that they're playing above their heads right now. Um, Everybody w- will even out and yeah, find their stride. I would say they're going to be in an eight-nine game. That's just my gut feeling against a pretty good. I don't know, random team, Temple, I don't know. Isaac? I was going to say seven. I, I just don't see this team being a six seed yet. I was going to say seven at the best, nine at the worst, and top five Big Ten finish, I think, could is definitely possible. I like a seven because I think the Big Ten is going to get love yeah. with yeah. the seedings. I think ultimately 11 and nine in conference because the offense still has their issues. So there's going to be sure. that one game where like, oh, God, right. why do you lose that one? But <laughs> the way things have already sort of evened out for basically every team in the Big Ten, and you look around college basketball, I mean, the net rankings are a huge barometer 
of how these teams are going to be perceived on Selection Which Sunday. Which are kind of dumb because they're very arbitrary. and They are. You know. But you know what? If it works in our favor. <coughs> oh, sure. I just I mean, mean like Michigan's a quad one win, but say they finish 26th and suddenly it's a quad two win. I agree. Win, that arbitrary. If 24th, it's a quad. You know what I mean? There has to be a way to sort of weigh Delineate. those. Yeah, right. Yeah. Where when it goes from 25 to 26, it's like, oh, man, we lost or that like, high quality win. You get more value if you win by 10 plus versus nine. But yeah. yeah. So for me, the validation, and this is always tricky to play the transitive property game but seeing purdue do what they did against michigan state seeing wisconsin after a tough home loss go on the road and beat a ranked penn state team and lead that entire game and now that micah potter is playing for them watch them finish fourth in the big 10 they might, and yeah. you have the road win yeah at wisconsin that would be tough as long as illinois goes 11 to 9 in conference for one to keep them out but for another it would move them up to the eight or seven potential line and i i would be happy with that I at this point, I guess you know if you're in a playing game, it'd be. Uh, <laughs> I would so, hate there's so that. much ambiguity to that, though. You know, what right? I mean? like, and this is where the six and seven for the football season. I know they made the bowl, but I hate six and seven. Right, like, I hate it. Right, hasn't a play? I think a playing team has made it past the or to the round every of thirty-two year. every single year, yep. like since it became a thing. Yep. So who knows? Maybe that could be good. VCU back in the day. Yeah. But if you lose the play-in game, you're technically never in the tournament. Now, I know it was a tournament game, but it's a play-in game to get into the tournament. They don't count you as one of the no, 68. That's correct. Right? So, or one of the 64. I'm sorry, one of the 64. One of the 68, one of the but 68. it is a play-in yeah, game right. to get into the tournament. So right. it's playing into the tournament. But as we said here, we all feel tournament. And I, I do think, though, that it is about holding serve at home. I think they can afford a loss at home. But the way the Big Ten's shaking out, I like our chances at home against Maryland. Yeah. I like our chances at home against Michigan State. And you Why look not? at. You beat them every other, other than, year. <laughs> yeah, you look at other than that, you got Minnesota, you got Northwestern, Nebraska, Iowa. I, I think I'm probably missing another one I think or you two get Indiana home games. at home. And you get Indiana yeah. at home. And that is a weird team right now that their record. Really weird. I don't know how I don't good trust they are. Archie at all. I don't either. I'm not really sure what's going on there. Bob Knight, of course, <laughs> did not show up for that game. Did you hear the rumor that he was going to show up for no. that game? Yeah. For and Ohio State, Indiana? Of course he didn't. Apparently, it's either he's getting old or... Well, I mean, obviously he's getting old, but I forget what the whole rumor mill behind why he was going back. Okay, I don't know. I don't know if it was an anniversary or he's sick or Maybe. something. But uh, anyways, yeah, Illinois makes the tournament. I'm feeling good about that. We'll do this next one Tuesday after the Purdue game. Tuesday, January what, 21st? Tuesday, January 21st. God dang, sorry, going to be January 21st. Okay, before we go, I'll let you guys, <laughs> as you think about this... Oh, jeez. Punderdome. So we're going to make puns before we leave. Sure. And as you guys are thinking of your pun, I'll do the particulars with sponsors okay. and all that. Okay. But before we do that, there are jokes on these cards, and I'll read you these first. What's a vampire's least favorite lunch? Something to do with garlic. Mm, no garlic in this no? one. Uh, How hmm. can you kill a vampire? A Sun. wooden stick. Oh. But, and a wooden stick, but... A wooden cross. No. Steak. Ah, yeah. steak. Uh, uh, a steak sandwich. Steak okay. sandwich. Okay. least favorite okay. lunch. All right. And why did the fridge... <laughs> this is stupid. Why did the fridge hate the freeze, uh, The freezer? Sorry. Uh, this isn't even that funny. It's cold-hearted. <laughs> Close. Know. She was icy. Okay. That's just not... Right. Okay. Icy's so, a good thing. Your, your two words... Yeah, like, you know, an ice cream. Nowadays, right? icy's a compliment. Just like sick is good. Yeah. Candy... Okay. Traveling. Candy. That's a pretty general term, traveling. Yeah. Traveling. Okay. As you guys think of your pun, I'll remind people that the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe. You can get a custom zone 
You can get your own zone online at dpdo.com for all their best deals and prices. And if you live in Champaign-Urbana, they will deliver anywhere. Your office for lunch, that's a good thing to do, actually. Order like eight calzones and bring them into your office. It's going to feed the whole staff for a decent price. Again, dpdo.com for the best deals and prices. Also online uh, for State Farm agent Brian Hansen, Trevor's favorite domain, brianismyguy.com. And for fourthandkirby.com, you can order an Illini crew neck sweatshirt for hoop season, Online at fourthandcruby.com or find it at the Illini Union Bookstore. Also, Illini Inquirer and Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Thank them for partnering up with us in our relaunch. Candy and traveling. Man. The only thing, this one's this one's bad. I don't think this one passes. But I was thinking for Christmas, everybody has candy trains or candy, or candy, candy cane. Yeah. Can, okay. All right. Trains and planes rhymes Man. with cane. Yeah. So that's not bad. I was trying to go through brands in my head like Reese's. That's what, that what I'm doing right now. Huh. That's what I'm doing Starbursts, right now. Starbursts. Uh, Skittles. Skittles. Because hmm. <laughs> traveling is like plane, car, ride, trip, flight, trip. Uh, that's a fun game. It is. It is. Let's see here. Hershey okay. doesn't work with anything. Hmm. Chocolate. Sweet. This is hard. Sugar. Uh, I'm. I'm wondering if anyone listening to this podcast, if this is when they click off, or if they're like, oh, "I got it! Oh, I got yeah, it!" Yeah, yeah. What I can think of is okay. So there's caramel. <laughs> so car. Uh, okay. Okay. There is. <laughs> What about like sugar, like car, sugar? <laughs> oh dear, I love sugar. That's like Anton Sugar, the bad guy from yeah. No Country for Old Men. Look, can I look up candies? Is that cheating? Yeah, so I'm trying to think. I mean, you can go almond joy. joy. Okay, no, almond but I was thinking joy. Milky Way. You could drive on a Milky Way because there's roads named okay, Way. Yeah, yeah. Snicker. I'm trying to think of something that's close. To, we got trains, cars, planes, jets. Um, hmm. Jolly Rancher. Take a trip to the Jolly the Ranch. ranch. No, okay, no. The jo- <laughs> uh, God dang, this is hard. This one is tough. Tootsie Roll. You're not rolling. God, I gotta say, it's two weeks in a row. I feel like I picked bad cards. Those were tough last Junior week. Junior Mint. Damn it. Uh, it's not coming to me. What's gonna happen is we're gonna end this podcast. It's gonna come to us immediately afterwards, yeah. and this is gonna be off published as people listen to it. Man. That's what I like, too, is Travel that people get a whole week to listen to happy Illini vibes. That's what we're about at this the tour is level. happy. Happiness. Well, maybe we let this one sit. We should get, like, the topic and then the next podcast. We better have, like, three dimes. Let's do that. We have a week to think about candy and traveling. Candy and, and traveling. And this is one of those things that throughout okay. the week we yeah, can... have an absent moment. Like, when I'm on my notes app, yeah. Yeah. I'll think of it during candy passing period traveling. or something. Candy and traveling. Well, candy thanks again traveling. to DP Doe, State Farm Agent Brian Hansen, to... Fourth and Kirby, Alana Inquirer, Champagne Showers Podcast Network. For Isaac Ambrose, for Trevor Belise, I'm Mike Carpenter. We'll be back Tuesday, January 21st for a post-game pod after Purdue. We'll be a triumph for another, uh, what's something that rhymes with Mackey? I'm trying to think of like wacky. a nice... Smacky, I like that. Or will, wacky. It get, will it get wacky at Mackey? I don't know. Or will we get smacky? All my uh, <laughs> all my flight issues were a real whopper. That ah, okay. that's, not, that's not a pun with the it two words. It took me a second though. to remember that's a candy I and not just walked. a burger. No. I yeah, no, know. that makes sense. Know. Yeah. That's not really that good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what the hell? We'll, we'll you think know what of gives me faith, week. though, is Harry couldn't think of, think of one either, and no. he's like pun master. Pizza and so. shoes, and I said it's my, my yeah. shoe stringing, yeah. Yeah. Ah. which isn't very good either, but we'll think of that. But uh, maybe you can think of it, too, and submit your puns at t- the 200 level on Twitter. Also, hey, review and rate us on iTunes. That helps us climb up the charts. 
we got like 75 ratings. We got a bunch of reviews. That helps us anytime someone types in a line. Even if you no hated problems. the last five minutes. And we do have one one-star one review. That we do? And we have a couple three-star reviews, which I appreciate okay. the nuance with that. Thank All you right. for your honesty. I think this last five minutes might have hurt our rating <laughs> and review. But uh, what the We should have given a warning. Nobody gives so. two stars. You ever think about that? That's true. Like one star is you're really bad. Three is mediocre. Four is you really liked it, but you don't want to say it was perfect. Five is if you think it's perfect. What's two? But a two-star hotel is like a decent hotel, It's like a Fairfield right? hotel. Yeah, yeah like yeah. a Comfort Inn sure. or something like Days that. Days in. Days right? in. What is like a one-star? Red Roof? Like <laughs> Motel 6. Motel 6. There's off one, the side of the place, highway. Uh, on our way to Michigan when I see my family that's called the American. Yeah, the American uh, yep. Inn is it, all it in rural nuts areas. Because if you take away the inn, American is not a word. American. You know, like, like most of them are like the comfort in, and it sounds like you're saying comforting or something. See, and that's why if, but, if we had pulled two cards that said hotels patriotism and, yeah. and travel, <laughs> the American. American. <laughs> so I get what they were going for, but I agree. It looks, it visually, it looks weird. Yeah, yeah. And it's always in like podunk rural towns right. that don't have anything else except maybe Kayaking not even they don't something. even have the casey's general stores in right. these towns these are like these are the towns where the things are named what they are dentist food <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that it's just they don't have like it's not joe's family dentist it's yeah, yeah. dentist you see what, what that reminded me of though when you just have simple names is in south park they had bob's rhinoplasty just downtown they have these different <laughs> shops just bob's rhinoplasty this is some that makes me think of this and i know we talked about a couple weeks ago things that make you go hmm uh-huh so i great live, song by the way have you ever heard that song i have not you've never heard as you as you tell them i'll okay. pull it up it's a great song. so i live in georgetown or my parents do which is just south of danville right you get off of 74 you're going south towards georgetown there are two things if you're driving down this road open past like midnight and both of them just say massage that is it, and they're both open till the wee hours of the morning. That's very nice of them to have massages yeah, open so till the wee hours of the 24 morning. Twenty-four hours. I've heard massages. things about that massage place. Yeah, I don't think it's on the up and up. It's not called the Lions. That Den, might no. be slander to say it out loud, right? Libel is print, and slander is spoken. Yeah. Should I edit that out of the podcast? Yeah, well, I, I was listening to uh, Lebetard the other day, and he had somebody on from the Miami Zoo, and he implicated that they were not acquiring their animals legally. Huh. <laughs> and his producer said and his producer goes Dan you can't say that so you've never heard this song? I haven't I've heard it I'm uncultured I guess CNC no <laughs> I wouldn't go that far <laughs> things that make you go hmm by CNC Music Factory well see we were playing it because Georgia got the number one basketball recruit oh uh, yeah and I and think West Kentucky it, got the number one like, number one player from Michigan or something yeah know. a couple years ago like the number one Football recruit, I think, was Western going Kentucky to Western Kentucky. Kentucky. Had a great, yeah, yeah, that's who it was. Things that make you go, hmm. And the quote, you know, is, well, I really just thought Western Kentucky was the best place for me. Well, when Ron Zook was getting great recruiting classes, I think Notre Dame had an issue with it. There was a New York Times article back in 05 about Ron Zook getting all these studs, wow. and it was like, well, that's interesting. Well, it's just like Sean Miller. I think we brought that up uh, yeah, last, last week. week. Things like, I mean, DeAndre Ayton, straight up not That wasn't legal. even a, hmm. There's yeah, like that an was MP3 like things that make you go, about. why is this guy coaching? <laughs> why is he not NCAA in trouble? being great. All right, well, on that note, Tuesday, January 21st, we'll be back. Post-game reaction to the Purdue game. Hopefully at that point, you at least got the Northwestern one under your belt. And if you get Purdue, that's just cherry on top. For Isaac Ambrose and Trevor Release, I'm Mike Carpenter. We'll see you in nine days. That's right. Nine days. For the next The 200 Level. See ya. Woo!